Welcome to Love Uncensored, the modern guide to dating and relationships. I'm your host, Nicole Colantoni, a dating and relationship coach. And each week, along with special guests who aren't afraid to speak their minds, we challenge norms and expectations in love and relationships. From childhood trauma to sex, we explore the uncomfortable and unspoken, providing valuable insight and actionable advice for building healthier relationships. Join us for candid conversations about all things love, whether you're single, in a relationship, or somewhere in between. There's, there's a video on why you should be shit at texting women to secure uh, sexual investment. There's pages on how to avoid spending money on dates but still secure sexual investment. There's stuff on how to gaslight your woman. There's like just how are these all pages? Of, how are they up? How yeah. seriously? How about can we can we please like try and get them taken down because they are disgusting and the amount of that added a whole nother level of emotional like damage because now you're thinking not only did this guy ghost me but he was manipulating me con me i would never have consented to being with someone that was like that like never i would never have done that if you he was a pilot (laughs) i thought he was a pilot and oh and also friends in the air force checked him up i don't think he's a pilot Stefan, welcome to love uncensored Thank you. It's good to be back on Love Uncensored, even though you've gone through a name change. I have. Do I have my podcast voice on right now? You yes. <laughs> okay. That's your podcast right. it's voice. It's been activated. It's been activated. Okay. Love that. All right. Yes, we have gone through a brand change. I'm very happy with the brand change, but <laughs> I would like this episode to be called Single at 35. As, yes, that's yes, what you are. That's what I am. We're going to get that's into what, that. And it's a throwback for all the OG listeners. So, yeah. you know. Yeah. So before we jump into the episode, mm-hmm. how would you like to introduce yourself? Uh, my name's Stefan. I'm an old friend of Nicole's. What we didn't reveal last time on the podcast that we actually met on Tinder. That's right. You've been on the podcast before. I have been on the podcast yeah. before. Not only do you know the original podcast, but you are an OG guest. I'm an OG guest and I'm, I'm back. Single at 30. And yes. yes, so my name's Stefan. Uh, Australian, Hungarian, 35. I'm in the film industry, I guess you could say right now. You're I'm, also a writer. I'm also a writer. I'm a writer. I'm kind of in the film industry. I'm in the investments industry. I've done a few different things in my life, lived a few different places in Hungary and Russia and Delhi um, and Australia since COVID is my most recent stint here. Um, but I met Nicole some seven years ago or six, seven years ago, thereabouts, I think, Um on a Tinder date. And I did not think I would be here. Yeah, we were discussing last night. When you went to meet me that night mm-hmm. uh, before our date, did you ever imagine that seven years later you would be on a dating podcast talking about your dating life? Absolutely not. <laughs> Although podcasts did come into it even before we'd met. I don't know if you recall, but you looked up a podcast I'd been on. Oh, my God! <laughs> to make sure I wasn't catfishing you because you checked my voice That's against right. the, the interview That's or right. the podcast. I think That's it was on right. 2GB or something. Um, or it was, it was a radio station or a Tech Daily or something along those lines. Something like that. Yeah. Yes. Mm. Yeah. So it was there. It was written in the, you know, the early beginnings. Yeah. Yeah. But no, I did not anticipate being <laughs> here. I There are like many futures I anticipated for that date. Finding my best friend... <laughs> wasn't one of them. 
and being on a dating show or a podcast seven years later was also not one of them, but yeah. it's a, it's been great. Yeah, and we were both agreeing last night that our friendship is the best return on investment we've oh, both yeah. received from dating apps. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, if you'd met your current partner on a dating app, then that might not be true. Yeah, but, but we you did, did it. it. We met you did it. You met organically. So, yeah. Exactly. And I can't I, claim that. I can't claim it either because <laughs> I have no partner presently. So yeah. there you go. So let's get into that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're newly single. I am newly single. What would you say is the biggest lesson from your most recent relationship? The biggest lesson would be even though it's okay to get into relationships with people that have problematic behaviors, and we all have problematic mm-hmm. behaviors. So that's going to be happening in every relationship. You, I think you need to be ready to measure progress with those behaviors. And if there isn't progress, be willing to step away sooner rather than later. I think if you're the kind of person that gets very emotionally attached and finds it very difficult to step away, and you know we're all on a spectrum for that, I think. Some people find it extremely easy to walk away from a relationship and others will be there until the bitter dying day, trying everything they can to fix it. Um, and I think that probably has to do with attachment styles and past relationships with parents and a whole bunch of things. But if you're a person that's inclined to find it very hard to walk away, you need to be very careful with who you get in a relationship with. And if you see more problematic signs early on, maybe be more cautious. Whereas the people that find it a bit easier to walk away, I think seeing problematic signs is not as risky because they can engage with those people um, to try and see if there's progress. And if there isn't, they can simply walk away. I'm not one of those people. I stick it out. I like to stick it out to the, to the brutal, the brutal end. Um, so, so does this mean that you saw signs? Definitely. Yeah. And, and I would say signs, not just in, in my partner, not just in her, but in, myself in the way I interacted with her, her in the way she interacted with me. There were just problems in quite a few areas that from the beginnings let both of us know, I think, that this was going to be a challenging relationship. But we were both the kind of people to stick it out no matter what was happening. So things got, you know, quite chaotic and neither of us would want to quit. And at the same time, found it very difficult to work on the specific issues that we had. And so the real takeaway for me is to be more cautious about uh, thinking I can get into a relationship with someone who from the outside doesn't look very compatible with me. Mm. And, you know, I was kind of trusting more my, my emotional intuition rather than kind of evidence-based approach to it, which is probably what I should have been doing. And I should have been listening more to maybe friends or family's perceptions of compatibility but I was kind of head over heels, so that just went out the window and I just dove in and I think it was the same for my partner and we both had a lot of difficulties with each other in the end, um, which I think a lot of people around us would have been able to see from the get-go. And Nicole is one of those people. <laughs> but when you say head over heels, would you describe that as lost or was it love at first sight? I mean, I definitely don't subscribe to the notion of love at first sight, but that gets into, you know, how do we define love? And English only having one word for love just it freaks me out. It's not useful. It's not conducive to even having good discussions around that word. We need at least nine words for love. And we're one of the only languages that doesn't have more than one word. So, you know, 
Um, but no, definitely I don't believe in love at first sight. I definitely believe in lust at first sight. There was certainly some lust at first sight mm-hmm. that was going on for sure. Um, but then a connection developed quite quickly because it was during COVID. Uh, other steps, other things I've learned, which to be honest, I already knew, but I saw them, these things happening and I chose to ignore them because I thought it would be easier to extricate myself from the situation than it turned out to be if it wasn't a situation I ended up enjoying. Um, one of those things is, you know, my partner moved into my apartment very quickly because we were effectively neighbours. Um, we lived very close to each other and then she moved in within a month maybe, which is, you know, probably a red flag. <laughs> bit, of a, bit of a red flag maybe. Yeah. Well, you know, there are couples who mate, fall in love, 100%. get married, yep. have a baby all within the space of six months. So there's no exactly. right or wrong. No, 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 no. There's only probabilities. Right. Which is why we, we have to have terms like red flags, green flags. Yeah. Any red flag, Not, I mean, some of them are definitely always bad, but a lot of them um, you might not be as bad as they seem for certain types of people. Um, so I think that. Yeah, we have to kind of go off the general numbers. Like generally speaking, mm. it's not a great idea to move in with your partner within a month. There's going to be outliers who it works for, but generally speaking, it's not going to work. And that's why those people that when they do make it work, they're the exception that proves the rule. And so you always need to keep that in mind, I think. Yeah. But what I'm hearing is that you moved in sooner than you would have normally <laughs> yes, liked to. Yes, yes. What you're hearing is correct. So <laughs> the moving in happened a bit too swift. Everything was a bit too swift. So I think that um, slow down is one of the things I've, I've learned. Um, listen to those around me more um, because I'm not Superman. I can't pull myself out of a difficult situation very easily if I'm very attached to someone. Like that's one of my weaknesses. I do get quite attached to people. Um, know what your weaknesses are. Know what your weaknesses are, exactly, and play accordingly. So for me, I, if I spend a lot of time with someone and they're living with me, I will become extremely attached to them. And even, you know, at this point I would still do, if my ex called me and said I need help with A, B or C, I would 100% do all those things and, you know, shout out to her. She's a lovely person she's doing very well but I do find it difficult to walk away even and and she did as well like I said so that's the worst combination if both people find it hard to walk away and they both live in pain and suffering and um chaos uh that's kind of the worst combination ideally you want one person to find it easy so that it ends the the cycle yeah yeah we were speaking the other night about how you don't confide in that many people about yeah. your private life, right? Yeah, sure. Specifically problems that you're experiencing. Yeah. And so you say know your weaknesses mm. uh, and, and be open to outside perspectives, right? But if you're not actually communicating <laughs> what's going on, <laughs> how does that work? <laughs> well, you're quite right because as my, as my close friend, you might have expected that I was communicating a bit more than I did during yeah. the relationship. And it's breakdown. And it's breakdown. That's, that's right. I generally don't tell people much. I mean, some of my friends, when I had cancer, some of my friends found out I had cancer like three years later. Right. They just never knew um, because, yeah, it's not something I, I don't typically – there's a handful of people I will talk to about all issues um, and by a handful I mean one. There's my father. Mm-hmm. Uh, besides my father, you know, 
there are others that I would share more with, but certainly not as much as the average person. And that, that maybe does create issues in regards to being able to lean on people around you and get advice and perspective. Um, or rather, I think the bigger component is, see, I knew the situation, um, just like my partner knew the situation that, you know, we're probably not ideal for each other. But being able to act on it becomes harder when you don't have societal pressure around you saying, you need to break up this up. You two need to stop seeing each other. And if neither of us are talking to anyone about our issues and no one's giving us this You're this in pressure, denial then. <laughs> we're in denial. And it was kind of nice living in denial for a while. And we actually, you know, we had a great relationship in many respects. So it wasn't um, all bad. But um, It's very rarely all bad. That's it's very rarely all bad. But it only takes a few key issues to break something down. That's the other key thing. It's much easier to destroy something than it is to build it. Yeah. I think um, much, much easier. Yeah. You could spend 10 years having a perfect marriage, but it will only take two to three big mistakes to annihilate all trust, sense of well-being, safety, everything. Mm. It can be out the window. It's interesting that you say that because uh, a piece of research that I love is that for every negative experience in a relationship, mm. it takes about five positive experiences to recover. Yeah. So something huge is going to be very difficult to yeah. repair. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And if you look at like a big negative, yeah, I mean, how many big positives are there in a relationship? Like if we're talking grand, big, very memorable, positive experiences in a relationship, I mean... Getting married might be one, you know, the first time you sleep together, you know, you'd have a handful of like these kind of milestone moments. Do you need 10 of them to make up for one milestone negative? Mm. I don't know. I don't know. But um, yeah, so I've learned, I've learned quite a bit. I've learned quite a bit. But going back to not really opening up to people about yes. what's actually going on, yes. do you think that that's a male thing or is that a you thing? <laughs> I think it... It is a male thing insofar as I do believe men are less likely to discuss their issues with others than um, women. I think that I'm also quite far down the spectrum even among men about the amount that I discuss. It's not very much. Um, but I would say I'm better than some because there are a few people that I disclose everything to. I mean, at least one. So, <laughs> so, so, shout out dad. <laughs> yeah, shout out father. So, so, you know, that's, um, I think that's exceptional in that I'm not sure if there's, ev and if everyone, pardon me, has someone who they disclose everything to, like absolutely everything. Okay. So now you're dating. Now I'm dating. Yes. I'm curious. What are some of your dating icks? Dating icks. Okay. So I have, have one big dating ick, which I suppose you could say I, I, in some ways I orchestrate it myself because it's an answer to a question and I asked the question. Um, and I asked the question, if you had $10 million uh, transferred to you immediately, found it in your bank account, what would you do? What would change about your life? So usually I've got a feeling for what they're doing right now already. We've had a, we've had a chat. I figured out, okay, this is their job. This is what they do. They maybe have highlighted a couple of passions or, and then I, when I ask that question, I'm, I guess I'm trying to drill down on their direction and whether they're doing what they actually want to be doing or whether there's a financial barrier or uh, what their actual values are, because you find that out when you have the liberty to do whatever it is you please. 
which I think $10 million is, it's not whatever you please, but it's 750 grand a year for the rest of your life, which is enough to change up what you're doing, right? Absolutely. So I do tend to ask that question um, and the ick comes when it there isn't much substance to the answer. So there's nothing that tells me this person has a uh, deep passion or uh, anything but, for instance, like a common answer that I get that I've had um, on dates is that they would like to, you know, just do hot girl stuff. Um, they would keep like so just nice dinners, nice lunches, get the nails done, you know, haircuts, buy a nice car. Travel. Travel. and But it all, it kind of ends there. And it, it, that's really where it ends. And they just want that in perpetuity forever. And that scares me because it, which isn't to say that it's a bad thing, right? So it, it is just my ick. And I'm not saying that what their answer is a bad answer because they might be extremely content doing that. In fact, I would suggest they would be, which is why they're saying that's what they would do. It's an ick for me because I like people that have what I would describe as more depth in regard to passions, interests, goals, and like altruistic behavior values. as well. Values, yeah. I love what you're saying, and I think it's such a good question, and it actually reminds me of another question that I was asked mm -hmm. on Hinge. It was a guy running a some form of startup, uh, and we matched, and then his first question was, how would you define a meaningful life? Oh. That's a good question. It's a good, it's question. a good question. Not everyone would like it, but you and I. Oh are no, we vibe off. If like, someone yeah, exactly. if someone jumped on Hinge and asked me how would yeah. I define a meaningful life, I would be a thinking very carefully about my answer. Not that, that I haven't way. already reflected on it, but I'd be sitting there trying to put it into words. Well, that's it. He was like, was, impress me. Yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. Right? And look, I'd rather have someone um, try and be impressed with that than with many other things people try and impress each other with on social media um, or on rather on dating apps. So like show me your Instagram, like show me, like show me your Instagram. How many nice cars do you have? And <laughs> where have you traveled to recently? Yeah. Or do you have a dog? Well, Instagram is, let's be honest. Instagram is basically a way to say, or at least I feel for most people around me, it's a way to say, I eat well, I travel well, I'm hot. That's it. That's pretty much what Instagram is for, is to say those three things on repeat with a wall that just keeps growing and growing and growing to remind everyone that I eat well, mm -hmm. I travel well, and I'm hot and no hot people. And maybe add in, and I'm rich if you're a guy. That's the other, the other one that comes in. How do you uh, show that you're rich if on, you're a guy on If Instagram? you're a guy on Instagram, I mean, there's a few ways to do it, right? There's the tacky way, which is you post all of your cars, properties, and everything else that you own. Watches. Watches. You, po you just directly post them on Instagram. <laughs> you just actually just post them. You, there's the Ferrari. That's for me. There's house. If I see a red Ferrari photo, it's an ick. It's an ick. And the other way is the subtle flex, I think, which is that you don't post them directly as posts, but maybe in stories they're there, they're here and there, maybe – you know, when your friends try to get in your car, they end up posting it and you reshare the, the story or whatever it may be. But that's not the same as like overtly showing wealth, I don't think. 
But you know, a thought just came to mind. I know that most men are very visual, but you're incredibly visual. You really value good looks. <laughs> you do. It's oh, God. The truth. <laughs> so what happens when you match? Are you calling me shallow? <laughs> it's, it's something that you value amongst, you know, a number of other Yes. Deeper values, right? Yes. Let's say. That's right. Attraction is very important, right? That's right? And it's also an indicator of whether you want to procreate with that person. Yes. So it's not necessarily a bad thing. But yeah. <laughs> say you match with a girl and then you do gain access to her Instagram and the majority of her photos are thirst traps. Does that influence the way you view her negatively or positively? So that's, yeah, that's a, that is an interesting question. Um, Obviously, something that's happened before. Shocking. Shocking. <laughs> um, it doesn't. It's a piece of information that I add to my thought process. It in itself doesn't influence it negatively or positively. But if I get more context around what's happening here, then I may perceive it in a negative or positive way. So, for instance, if I were to get access to the Instagram, it's a lot of thirst traps, it's very raunchy, and through discussion I find out that the primary um, reason that this exists is to get attention from rich guys to go on overseas trips for free, then clearly I'm going to perceive the intention behind that as a, as a negative in regards to are they someone I'm interested in because I don't particularly want someone who's um, – basically exchanging looks for money. And baiting men. And baiting men. And baiting men in general, yeah, at all. Um, on the other hand, if they are a very well-paid model who is shooting for uh, Honey Burdette and, you know, every other brand that you could imagine and that's part of their job and, yes, it is very racy and, yes, it is raunchy but they're kind of like a sex icon, then – I don't have a problem with it unless, of course, they're also using it to bait very rich men, which then therein would come the problem. But the the, the thirst traps themselves don't worry me at all. Um, or you could just have people that are, you know, in, a, in an industry that is, um, you know, known for raunchy stuff. Like let's say you're an amazing pole dancer, not even, not even like an actual um, exotic dancer, so you don't work in a club or anything. You're just a really good pole dancer. And your Instagram has a lot of pole dancing videos because you're very passionate about pole dancing and teaching pole dancing and it as fitness. Well, part of pole dancing is sensuality and sexuality. And so that's going to come across on the Instagram page. But that's absolutely fine to me. That's not a red flag by any means. Yoga instructors. Exactly. Like yoga instructors can also come across as very sensual. I mean, Incredibly all the poses, so. like all the things. So the intention behind it is, is – and a lot of the time their intentions are extremely pure. It has nothing to do with baiting men. They don't even want men giving them attention. Like mm -hmm. it's so – yeah, the raunchiness itself is not um, the problem. It's what it says about the person. How about this? Okay, yep. When you and I matched, yeah. I didn't have Instagram. Mm. I'm not sure I had Instagram back then either. <laughs> I don't but to be Instagram, honest, I don't, I don't think I had Instagram either. This was seven or eight years ago back then. I mean, what? We, no, everyone had Instagram did back they? then. Did they? I don't think yeah. I had Instagram. Maybe I did. I don't know. No, I definitely had already deleted my Instagram. Yeah, okay. I don't remember. I honestly don't remember. I had it and then I deleted it. Yeah. And so when I was single 
I was not active on Instagram. Yeah, 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 yeah. But maybe you weren't either, and so it wasn't. I don't a think I was either, to be honest. Yeah, I don't there think. There you I, go. I don't think I was either, but we had. I recall you did have like pictures that were representational. Yeah. What I'm saying is you weren't a catfish. I did not catfish you. You did not catfish me. I don't think I catfished you either. No. I think we should share our first conversation. Okay. Let's share. Uh, because I think that we're quite rare. <laughs> did you? <laughs> but, and you didn't remember this yesterday. Okay. Yep. Yep. But I'm ready. when we matched, yes. what attracted me to your profile was what was in your caption, which was? Yes, this I remember. It was ENTJ, which are my Myers-Briggs um, yeah. personality letters. Right, which I'm obviously very into given that, my line of work exactly. and just general interest. Exactly. But when we matched, mm-hmm. I knew that from your profile that you were super intelligent and driven and just had, you know, your own thing going on. But I also knew that I was the sort of person, I'm more of a sapiosexual, so I don't base attraction off looks alone. Yes. So I made that clear to you from the outset, like, hey, really keen to meet you. You seem really intelligent, really interesting, but I can't guarantee that I'm. this is going to be something romantic. Yes, yes, yes. And yes. your response was? My response was, that's okay. I'm always on the lookout for new female friends. Yeah. Yeah, which is true. It was more true back then as well because I actually went to – uh, an all boys school from years seven to eight. Um, and then after that, I mean, I wasn't at school at all, but I had all boys, I had a lot of male friends, I had a lot of male friends. So I think it was, it, I was still building up a more good female friends um, yeah. at that time. And that's been very good for me. But I think that that is something that is undervalued when it comes oh, to apps, absolutely. is that, you know, we're so outcome oriented. And if we don't think that they're our future wife or husband from the outset, we dismiss them. And you could be dismissing a best friend because absolutely seven years of friendship, you're one of the closest people in my life. I always say that if I <laughs> had one phone call to make, now it would be a tough tie with my partner. But yeah. before Nick, it would have always been you. Um, you've mentored me when it comes to my business. You were the whole reason that you're going to make me cry. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? No, I know what you mean. Had I just gone, nah, and not met you, it would have completely changed the trajectory of my life. Yeah. Yeah, So I think that, you know, the lesson there is be open-minded with online dating. Absolutely. I think absolutely. And I've met, you know, a couple of really good friends from online dating. Oh, Um, okay. So I'm not the only one. (laughs) (laughs) Fine. No, there's (laughs) a... I have one Hungarian one okay. from because that's a whole other continent. Yeah. I've got one Hungarian friend, but I have you um, as yeah, you'd be well, you're the my only closest one for me. <laughs> my closest online dating friend, no doubt. Um, but I think absolutely people should be open to it. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, I think a lot of the time people aren't, or rather, a lot of the time. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like a lot of the time guys ruin the possibilities of that because they. They're not willing to genuinely have a platonic relationship with a female that they meet on a dating app. The assumption is, well, that, no. And yeah. and the attempts at turning it, because if it looks like it's going well platonically and you then try and turn it to something non-platonic, that makes it weird. Whereas, like, we never had a moment like that. There wasn't a moment where, like, I tried to kiss you or... On the date? On the date. No, not at, at all. all. Yeah. So uh, I don't even think I touched your leg. No, you've made a point of that. 
many over times. Over and over again. <laughs> yeah. But you're like that with all women you date, right? That's true. I don't touch people's legs. <laughs> I generally, I'm very standoffish on a first date, extremely so, yeah. First few, I thought. First few. It tends to, yeah. yeah, first few, maybe, I mean, if by the second or third date I feel really comfortable with someone, maybe I might try and kiss them on a third date, but... What if they try to get touchy-feely with you on the first date? I, it depends how much, how, it depends what I'm feeling like towards them. If I'm feeling like I'm potentially interested in them, then by all means, fine. If they try and kiss me on a first date, if I'm feeling particularly interested in them, I'll go along with it, definitely. Um, but I just don't initiate it, um, which is, uh, I think to a degree it's, you know, I think on a first date or a second date, if a woman really wants to kiss you or be physical with you, it's up to them to initiate that um, because I don't want to make anyone, I don't want to misread a situation and make someone feel uncomfortable. And the chances that a man makes a woman feel uncomfortable on a first or second date trying to kiss them. I mean, I've had all my girlfriends tell me they've had guys that are trying to kiss them or be, you know, quite physical on a first or second date um, and they're just grossed out by it and they don't want it and it's annoying. It's less intimidating, intimidating coming from a woman, right? Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's so less intimidating. Like it doesn't, in fact, there's nothing intimidating about it. I can't imagine being intimidated by a girl trying to kiss me on a first date. But it doesn't mean that I would necessarily do it. It just depends how I feel about the person. So I might, you know, if someone starts touching you, girls often do, they do the sly um Leg. The sly uh, arm touch, uh, the yeah. leg touch, or the the back touch. I'm a big arm toucher. Yeah, I never do the leg. The the there's the the arm touch, and often like the just the like, yeah, just this. It's just literally just like a t- like just a grab, just a quick grab on the arm, or the touching of the bicep. You know, there's these small indicators, um, which I always find amusing. Because <laughs> you know what's going on. Of course, I know what's going on. Of course, I know what's going on. Here we go. You're coming on to me. Yes. yes, okay. yes, yes Do you start yes. breaking a sweat going, okay, now I have to make a move? I mean, no. No, no, no. I'm happy for someone to do that and for me not to reciprocate necessarily. Yeah, that's fine. Right. Um, but, I, I, but I'm very clear about whether I like someone. So if I go on a date with someone, I will follow up pretty much immediately saying whether or not, like, would you like to go out again? Like, I had a really good time with you. I'm very, very clear about that. So doesn't mean that I'm going to reciprocate physically just because someone's touched me, you know. Um, but obviously by the second or third date that becomes much more of a standard, yes, we're probably kissing, yes, we're, there's physical touch. A thought just came to mind. Yes. That another funny uh, part of the, our dating story. Our, <laughs> dating, our dating story. <laughs> we dated. <laughs> no, about uh, the first time we met. Yes, the first time we met. Yes. Is where we met. Oh, <laughs> no, no. Do you not feel comfortable? Sharing? No, we we can we can share this. We met at Eau de Vie, <laughs> wonderful cocktail bar in Sydney. It used to be. It used oh, to be. Well, it's now reopened. It's reopened. It's yeah. not that great anymore. Sorry, I went there, took someone there. It wasn't that great. Um, but <laughs> save your time. <laughs> yeah, save your save your time. Save your money. Um, but it used to be amazing. It was, it was in Darlinghurst. They provide cocktails in quite a theatrical manner. There's a lot of liquid nitrogen, a lot of fire, brilliant service, dim lighting. Get to the point. Perfect date <laughs> night. Perfect date night. Um, the point is, uh, yes, I took Nicole there and I may have taken... Every other first date there <laughs> you've ever been on. And what do the staff do every time you go there? I mean... 
<laughs> yeah, so look, they they obviously recognized me. I was a regular. I did take a lot of first dates there because I'm very picky. It takes a long time to figure out who I want to date. But they would act like I was a newcomer. Every time. Every time because they're that good. They were that good. Um, but, yeah, I had taken a lot of people to O to V. <laughs> Shout out to all the O to V dates. Um, it, was, it was a great time. It was a good period of my life. Love that. Yeah. Okay. I don't do that now, though, by the way. <laughs> that was a thing in my 20s. That was a it's 20s okay. this thing. This is a safe space. It's, <laughs> that was a 20s thing. Now, if I'm going to take someone on a date, I want to try something new. Whereas then I just wanted routine and safety and ease. It was a great place. If it's not broke, why fix it? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. Thank God for the staff, though. Okay. So you're on the apps. I'm curious, do you feel like dating apps have improved your dating experience or do you, would you still prefer to meet someone organically? So, look, sometimes there's a, a combination of the two. Sometimes the two happen. So, for instance, you might meet someone organically out in the real world um, and then think, oh, they're a nice person but you haven't put a step forward romantically and you're also not close enough to them to do that because you don't have their, for instance, their mobile number or their social media. But then you come across them on the app and so you can then follow up that initial meeting with a, huh, you know, hey, you're here. Um, so that's happened, which is wonderful. Um, but in terms of does it make it, how does it change the experience of dating using the apps? I think it probably changes it Differently for different people. So for me, it's a bit of a, it could be a bit of a danger. I can foresee a future where maybe it's a danger um, insofar as it makes uh, connections very replaceable because on the apps there's always just like a long list of people to, of very attractive women to talk to and go on dates with instantly. Like you could, could have five dates with five very attractive women every single week for the whole year probably. And that wasn't the case, um, or at least it took a lot more effort to organize that um, prior to the advent of apps. But I suppose people people in different situations would find that different, differently so or get different value out of, out of the apps. Um, for me, that's like a danger. It's also a, obviously a pro in that it makes finding potential partners easier. Sure. But um, but it's a risk that you then don't engage with any one person seriously because you constantly, oh, you notice a little problem and you go, oh, you know what, I'll just go on a date with someone else. Oh, I noticed a problem, we'll just go with someone else. I'm attracted to them, but oh, I'm, but I'm more attracted to them. I'm just going to go on a date with them. And like you can literally, you could be, I could be doing that forever, forever. You eventually have to pick people that you, that you genuinely like and invest time in them and want to see them regularly. And that's when you actually start to get a connection and value. And so how do you do that? <laughs> <laughs> how do you pick how do you pick someone? Yeah. What's your criteria? Ooh, my criteria at the moment. I mean, obviously this is very personal and not necessarily applicable to everyone, but my criteria? Well, the first thing is I'm obviously have to be very attracted to them. Like you said, I'm quite visual. Um, so I like to be On that note though. Yes. Do you think that you can gauge attraction from a photo alone? Sometimes, yes. Mm. There are some photos which I can see are not heavily edited 
It's, it can't just be angles. And their look is just dead on what I'm into. And I know, yep, when I meet this person, they will be gorgeous. And I will be attracted to them on some level. Not necessarily that, you know, insane, our pheromones are like on point level, but I will be attracted to them, no question. So sure, there's plenty of people like that. Um, there's also people who I would imagine I'd be more attracted to um, based on pictures that I'm not in uh, actuality. And the inverse, there's people who I would have thought are less, I'd be less attracted to who I end up being more attracted to. So you get the full range, I think. Mm. Full range. Mm-hmm. So let's go back to your criteria. <laughs> so my criteria, my criteria are obviously I want to be very attracted to my partner, so looks is important. Um, at the moment, someone who's willing to move slowly with me is very important because I'm looking, I'm looking for a very slow, easygoing slow relationship, burn. slow burn. Yeah. Like slow burn dating. I don't want to have someone moving into my apartment within a month and talking about getting married within three. Like that's not what I'm seeking. I'm seeking someone that I can have really peaceful times with, not just highs, um, but really peaceful, pleasant, rejuvenating times with that are stress-free um, and that's willing to kind of move at a relatively slow pace and figure each other out kind of quite um, to, to the minute, minute detail rather, um, rather than someone who's just rushing forward with big, big grandiose plans and wants to get it done. Um, and rather than someone who needs big highs and big lows, or even just big highs, like I'm, I've had a lot of that. I've had a lot of big highs and big lows and it can be quite draining. So what I'm really seeking is like some a companion that allows me to feel rather than this amazing sense of happiness, at least an absence of suffering or discontent, which leaves you in the middle. You're just feeling good. You're just content, peace at peace, rejuvenated. Um, so... You know, I think you just defined a healthy relationship. Did I? Oh my god! Am I going somewhere? Am I heading in the direction of a healthy relationship? Is this progress? Well, you might be able to define it, but whether you're actually I can follow ready through, for it, or if yeah. I can follow through, if yeah. I can, yeah, that's a, that's another one. Doing is different to describing. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's that's what I'm I'm seeking in terms of what that looks like in actual partners. I mean, you know, for me shared interests, um, intelligent. They don't have to be a genius. No, but something you always say is that they have to be passionate about something beyond the relationship. Yes, exactly. I must say that when I speak to most men, they all say the same thing. Yes. So for me, that's huge. It is huge. I don't want to be dating someone who I and our relationship is everything to you. Yeah. That scares me. Um, Why does that scare you? It scares me because then all the ups and downs in life that they experience are correlated with where we are at. What scares me about someone who has a passion that, whose only passion rather, or only like really strong discernible passion is the relationship or their partner is that their mood is so tied in to the relationship that it's almost like too much responsibility and it's, it's almost too um, destabilizing then if there are any issues in the relationship. Whereas someone who has an identity 
and a strong identity at that outside of the relationship and a strong passion outside of the relationship, they can, um, when there's a little bit, there's rocky patches in the relationship, they can retreat to that space and still be safe and still be them um, and not have their whole world blown up because of an argument because they've got other things going on. And that often allows so time true. to then come back together again because you, you, don't, you don't imagine that the entire world is this relationship. Like there are other things to think about. And then a little bit of space, a little bit of talking, and oftentimes you're back to, back to being okay. And I can reflect on that in my own life, like with my, what I like to refer, great lesson. Mm-hmm. Um, when we would fight, yeah. it would ruin my day and I wouldn't be able to um, recalibrate yeah, you can't or regulate f- until no. I saw him that night. And so for the entire day, I was pacing. I had lost my appetite. I was anxious. Exactly. I was a mess. Because he was your everything, my but everything. you do not want to be someone's everything. And you don't want someone to be your everything. Absolutely not. But now with Nick, if there yeah. is a conflict, yeah. my happy place is my world, my work, yeah, my, my exactly. life. And so I'm able to separate myself from that, go do what I love. And yeah. by the time we meet up again, yeah. I'm completely centered. Exactly. Right? The conflict's already worked and itself 100%. out. 100%. And for me, that's my writing. So I, yeah, exactly. if I can have a conflict with someone and they're not my everything, I can then go and do some writing, play some video games, my other little safe space. Um, <laughs> although I was a closet gamer until recently, now I'm out in the open as a, as a gamer. But um, I can do those things, relax, and then go back into uh, the discussion with a better frame of mind. Whereas, you know, when you're dating someone who is uh, effectively, with whose emotions are totally tied into you and your relationship with them, well, then I'd try and go to do my writing and they'd be in tears in bed until everything, everything was resolved. It all had to be resolved immediately. There could be no space to Which reflect and discuss. It's also not healthy, right? Yeah. Because people process on different yeah. schedules. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and particularly men, I find. Yeah, 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 yeah. And so, yeah, it's, it's very handy to have someone that has um, more passions. Mm-hmm. outside of uh, uh, beyond the relationship. So I have to bring this up because there's a lot of talk around who pays for the first day. No. <laughs> and I would love to hear your thoughts. Well, I'm pretty sure my Hinge profile had it set as, I think it says, I'll get first you, round uh, first rounds on me is the prompt. Um, and it, this is such a flex. It is. First rounds on me if is the prompt. And then I think my response is the first, no, all rounds are on me. All rounds are on me. Simple. Because, yeah, to be honest, I'm invariably the person that asks someone out on a dating app. So given that I'm asking them to come with me or to meet me somewhere, then I will pay for everything. That's not a question. And I agree with that, yeah. right? I I. I firmly believe that the person who asks should pay in the early stages, right? Mm. Like obviously if I say to Nick, let's grab a pizza tonight, I'm very happy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. everything's kind of equal now. But in the beginning, if he was to invite me out, choose the place, drink more than me, mm. and then expect mm, me mm, mm, to mm, pay 
that would I would find that off-putting. Yeah, absolutely. That being said, I do have I must say even if I was on a dating app and this doesn't happen usually at all, but if they like oftentimes they might suggest we go for a date but they don't say let's go here at this time. That's usually my role. But if someone were to say, yeah, let's go get um, drinks here. I'm asking you out. Yeah, would you allow I'd, them to pay? I'd still pay. No, I'd still pay. But that's also, I think. Um, you know, what's interesting yeah. is I wonder how much of this is a age thing because I did pay for the nachos on our date. <laughs> uh, you you offered to my mistake. I see. <laughs> I made a mistake. I paid for the drinks. You did. You offered to pay for the food and I let you was my mistake because I thought you were someone who was going to be offended if I didn't let you pay because I thought that you would take it as as a, as a slight against your um, independence. So I was like, okay, no, look, I'll let her pay for that because obviously she wants to show that she's independent. It didn't bother me whatsoever. Okay, there you go. <laughs> but um, no, an age thing, it definitely is as well. Like, you know, we went on our date in our mid-20s. Yeah. It's actually probably more than seven years ago, to be honest. It's we more like 10. Figure we'll figure it out. Well, we were on Tinder. It's probably 10 years yeah. ago. It's actually more like 10 years ago. Yeah. Oh, it's definitely not seven because, no, because I got cancer at 29. How old was I 10 years ago? So, so 24. Yeah, that that's makes, yeah, yeah, it's going a, on 25. So yes. it was roughly around then. Yeah, yeah, it's about 10 years ago. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, wow. We were, young. We we were, were young. pioneers of, of Tinder. That's what we were. <laughs> <laughs> we were really young. But um, yeah. I, um, yeah, no, I, I, I pay on the first date. I always pay on the first date. Sometimes it's very expensive. Sometimes it's, it's not. Um, but I always pay. I think it also has to do with how much money people make. You know, I'm 35. I tend to date people that are between 25 and 32 is that in that range. And I tend to have more income than them. Not always. Not always. Okay, I don't let's think. play around with this. Yeah. You go on a date with someone who very obviously either comes from more money than you or earns more money than you. Yeah. Does that uh, alter the way you approach who pays? Mm. On the first date, no, I'm still paying. I'm still at least in, I'm still offering to pay, but maybe if I can see that like they earn more than me or they come from a lot of money, maybe if they push back, I let them pay half. Whereas usually if someone tries to push back, like they don't get a chance to push back because I already do it before even, they don't even know I've done it. I just get the bill, it's paid for. There's no question. There's no the, There's no awkward moment when the bill comes. But if I notice that, okay, they have a lot of money, um, maybe I let them see the bill's coming and I go to pay. And if they insist, maybe I let them pay half. So what is it really about? This who pays for what? <sighs> On what a first date, what are we actually, about? yeah, what, let's drill down to what it's really about. I think it's about... Is it manners? It, I think it's the notion that men should pay because they're providers and they're men and they're masculine and that's what chivalry is and we can code it in other things and wrap it up in different ways and say it's because because they asked me out or because of this or that. But really what it's about is that guys want to feel, guys feel like they need to pay to be respectful or to show manners or to have quote-unquote chivalry. And so it makes good sense to do that because 
in very few occasions will it be taken negatively, but it may be taken negatively in many more occasions if you don't. So it's simply a, it just makes sense to do it if you can afford to. If you can't afford to, then, I mean, don't do it. Just, you know, see how you go. This kind of ties into something else that I was pondering recently. Yeah. So women now work, right? Mm. And there are a lot of successful women out there. Uh, say you're in relationship yeah. with a woman mm-hmm. who earns the same amount as you mm-hmm. or maybe even more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you still feel like you should be the one to pay for the ring, the engagement ring? Yes. Absolutely. Why? Because I'm buying it for them. If I wanted, for instance, an engagement watch, I would expect them to pay for it. Yes. Is that a thing? It's a thing. Like, for instance, my ex-partner was going to buy me a watch of the same value as the ring, probably. You know, but I wouldn't expect that either. I'm also not huge on any of that stuff. Like, Mm. if it was up to me, I mean. No ring? Ah, something symbolic. But if it's important to my partner, look, I'll do it because, you know, I'm willing to, I'm actually willing to not just do what I want. <laughs> so it's like, because this is from me to you, this yeah. is me asking for yeah. your hand in yeah, marriage. Yeah, yeah, Then I'll pay you, for it. Yeah, okay. And realistically, uh, at some point, our financial interests will uh, become one Merge. anyway. Exactly. So really. So who is paying for the ring? So who is, pay- <laughs> so who is paying for the ring? <laughs> exactly. It's, it's like you're paying for it. But you're not really paying for yeah. it. You're both paying for it. Yeah. Um, assuming you go the route of complete merged financial status, which I'm not sure. That's a very case-by-case thing. Mm. That's a very case-by-case thing. What are your thoughts thing. on that? Well. Personal thoughts, I guess. My personal thoughts for me. So uh, unless, unless I were to marry someone who has um, their own money. Their own money. <laughs> yeah, their own money. Um then will there I would be a be prenup? That, <laughs> there will be a prenup unless someone has. Um, what if you have babies with them? Well, that would change, right? So the I think the prenup would change. Yeah, I think the rules and regulations around it would would change. If or to I, clause in the prenup. Yeah, or to clause in the prenup. I mean, yeah, well, neither of us are lawyers, but but I think I don't even know how um, effective they are in Australia, let alone Hungary or anywhere else I might live, but. Um, they, I generally, generally think that I would, I'd like to have that secured because, you know, whether or not you made money, your own money or you inherited money at the end of the day, it's yours. Um, and when you become a family and you have a partnership with someone else, yes, you want to share it. Um, but if for some reason, two to three years later, things are breaking down, it does not strike me as equitable to lose what may have taken 20 years to make mm. over two years of a relationship. Sure. And that's a situation that people run into and it's kind of terrifying. Um, so, I, but at the same time, you know, if I had children with someone, would I want the absolute best for the children? Um, of course. Like, which I, means taking care of them. Of course, which means taking care of them. Of course, no question at all. So I think that in the situation where you have children, it becomes very different. I think kind of merged finances are almost a necessity, but up to a point, like let's say you have a hundred million dollars, we're splitting a hundred million dollars. I think it's very reasonable to like, they don't need, 
you don't need fifty million dollars to live a good life. So I don't think I think there should be there there needs to be limits that's on what. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, for me, that's not debatable. I'm very happy to live a good life on less than fifty million dollars. I mean, I find this one this conversation so tricky because I personally believe that the person I choose to marry would not be the type of person who would be unfair in a relationship breakdown mm. and try to take advantage of me financially. I think that you've got a lot of trust in uh, your judgment and I think that's right for you. So I, I, I think that you're right. I think that the kind of person that you would choose to marry wouldn't be unfair in a relationship breakdown. Like I know without a doubt that yeah. you would not take advantage of your partner. I would not financially. at all in any way ever. That would never happen. Correct. And I know that about Nick too. Yeah, and that's right. Whereas I suppose, look, I may be, I may in the future actually meet someone or may have met someone already, who knows. Um, uh, but uh, I may in the future meet someone who I feel the same way about, like that I would trust absolutely explicitly in every way, in every form, in any imaginable situation where there's a relationship breakdown, even the worst kind, they wouldn't uh, take advantage of the situation. Um, in which case, sure, I wouldn't need a prenup. But my experience uh, recently mm. would be that I would like to have a prenup. Okay, so we were talking about how, you know, one of the benefits to, you know, dating apps is that mm. it expands the dating pool. There are more options. So and, I'd just like to add a bit on that. Because yeah. one thing that I didn't mention that I think is wonderful about dating apps is that they let you get outside of your usual candidates. Mm. So it's not just that there's now, look, on the one hand, I did say, you know, I like dating very attractive women, so I'm picking very attractive women, obviously. But um, besides their, the fact that they're attractive, very different people um, to the kinds of people that I usually date. Um, in terms of like where they're from, what they do, uh, ethnic background, where they're based in Sydney. And one of the things that I think is wonderful about dating apps is that you can, you know, get out there and meet new people and see new parts of the city you're in and go to new places you would never go. So this isn't recently. I actually haven't, you know, had an extensive number of dates recently. But previously on dating apps, one of the best things I found was that I get out to Western Sydney and the Northern Beaches and the Shire and I got taken to um, like an amazing uh, Afghan restaurant uh, by a girl who was a first-generation immigrant from Afghanistan um, and just got to have great experiences that I wouldn't usually have uh, in different places because I don't, we're not usually driving uh, to the West, to the North, to the South. We're usually quite holed up here and in our little own echo chamber and it's, it's not very nice sometimes. Like I don't want to just be exposed to the same people over and over and over again. So it's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Depending on what your um, radius is, of course. <laughs> yeah. My radius is set to maximum. Wow. So like I go, I'm even country, which is also nice. Meeting people that are not urban. Lovely. Please, more. Like I'm, I just, I'm a big fan of meeting new kinds of people and I love it. I find it interesting. You can make friends that way. You can meet potential partners. You can see what dating is like in different segments of the population. It's great. I think that's so good. Um, so for me, that's actually one of the biggest things about it. Because if I just wanted to go and meet another Bondi model, 
I know exactly where to go to do that. Totally. <laughs> every Friday and Saturday night there's somewhere to do that. Um, there's always an event or a yacht or a house party or a club or a bar. or They'll, they'll be there. But that's not what I'm looking for, uh, you know. You want variety. I want variety or at least I want to find – I really just want one person. But, but I want well, – so, but to find one person maybe there's sometimes variety. So this leads to my next question. Yeah. You're dating a lot of different people from the dating apps. How do you decide who you want to be exclusive with? Okay, so I think that's a that's a hard question. It's a difficult question, but I think that it comes down to figuring out back to what we described a healthy relationship was. Who for for me, and I think the answer to this has got to be different for everyone because you know maybe when I was twenty three and you'd asked me the same question, I might have said, oh. Whoever I'm having the best sex with, that's how I'm figuring it out, you know. Um, or if I was totally. if I was about to have an overseas trip, whoever's looking like they're going to come with me, and we're going to go do Europe for six months together, or convenience, convenience, or you know. That can I just say that that was such a thing in your twenties? Like yeah. people would break up depending yeah. on when they plan to go to Europe. Yeah, if they're yeah, of course, go with them or exactly because they knew it wasn't for a lifetime, and they wanted to either have fun in Europe or not. Um, so you de- you'd yes. break up depending on what season it was. Exactly. So um, it really depends on what what you're looking for in terms of how you drill down on what when to be ex- exclusive and with who, right? But for me personally right now in where I'm at in my life, I'm definitely not seeking like sex. I'm not primarily motivated by sex. In fact, I am like I work very hard not to have sex with people that I date. So that's, a, you know. I find this interesting because I know that sexual compatibility is very important when it comes to who you date and it is, who you yeah. choose to be in relationship with. And I know yeah. it's very important to you. So how do you identify who you want to be exclusive with? <laughs> <laughs> if you're not having sex with them? Yeah. Okay, well, at some point you will... At some point, there will be sex, mm-hmm. and then there will be uh, figuring out exclusivity, right? But I'd like to have a pretty good indicator of who someone is that I want to be exclusive with before I have sex with them at this point, which I know that makes it tricky given I do value like sexual connection a lot, but there are ways of figuring out what someone's into, what they're like in bed. There are ways of figuring that out before you actually have sex with them. Do you think... Not always accurate, but you can get a decent idea you know do you think you can start off having uh, you know less than you know satisfying sex with somebody and that it can actually get better absolutely that's no questions that's the case in fact i would say that's usually how it goes it usually yes it usually starts off quite mediocre and then it builds into something great but there there has to be like we're talking about my sex life, then generally there's like a certain openness with us, not in terms of an open relationship, but like, you know, we're, we're open to different things or we... Um, so do you screen them? Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. But as I said, it's also less, like the sex aspect of everything is less important to me right now. Where I'm at now, like I said, I'm actively avoiding sleeping with people. So, um, and I have been since I broke up with my partner. Um, 
And that's been great, to be honest. That's been really good for me. When you're in a relationship, Mm -hmm. how do you approach discussions about the future? Okay, so when I'm in a relationship, I, I mean, oftentimes we're talking about moving overseas. Like, so for me personally, I'm most likely going to be living overseas or in Europe next year or the year after. That's my home. Uh, Oftentimes the future, the conversation around the future takes place in, well, yeah, the practicalities of where we're going to be living. And then often, and this is an issue that's specific to me, not just to me, I'm sure it's for a lot of people, but what my partner is going to be doing. Because I can work from anywhere effectively in the world and my partner can't necessarily. So depending on who I'm dating, I've got to figure out, is it actually um, realistic for us to move overseas together? And if we do, what are they going to be doing? So is this part of your screening process when you date a woman? Yes. I definitely like to know the degree of flexibility they have or freedom they have um, to move overseas, um, whether or not that would be even something they're interested in. Like in different scenarios, like let's say I was paying for everything, would they want to do it? Or are they too attached to things here? Or if do they have a career they can pursue? Um, do they have a cat and dog that requires do they have being a, shipped over? The cat and dog, that's fine. We can take care of the cat and dog. Um, do they, you know, is it something they want? Is it something that they think would be easy for them? Um, definitely. I, I see myself as someone who probably has a lot of movement left in them in terms of the world. Like I would probably live in um, Europe for a couple of years, America for a couple of years, maybe Japan for a year. And that's all very doable for me. And I would like to find a partner who I can share that with, do that with. That being said, there are other considerations like having children. I wouldn't necessarily want to put children through all that moving. I'd want to have a base. So, but in any case, the question of movement is important to me, certainly. Um, I like to know that someone can, but, and also at the same time, if I met someone who I was just thought, this is the person this is who I want to be with, well, then guess what? I don't need to move to Europe. If they live here, I'm here. We'll make it work. We'll do something because I think that that's a, uh, if, if it's, you have that level of connection, then that's what you will do. That's what you will do. But when do you think it's an appropriate time to talk about things like marriage and kids? Yeah. Okay. So we're talking time. Uh, look, I don't mind like the, the initial things like, like, so how many kids do you want to have like super early on? Like, like, four or five dates. That's, I think that's a fine thing to talk about and to, you know, joke around about shitty names and things like that. I think that's fine. What but, if the woman was like, I don't want kids? Yeah, okay. So if I think if you don't want kids or you specifically really want kids soon, I actually think get it done within the first five dates because let's just not waste time here. I think if you don't want kids, that needs to be disclosed a lot sooner than five dates. Yeah, I, I would say if you don't want them probably – by the second or third date. But if you just want them very soon or you don't want them for a while, you could leave that to like date five to, to really make it known that that's the case and that you feel strongly about it, you know. Um, but, yeah, that, that's, that's the kind of time I'm – I don't think it needs to be a really big discussion. I think it can be just a thing you have a little chat about over dinner among many other things. And a lot of time on, if you're meeting on apps, it'll say like what people are seeking and also the kids, whether they want children or don't want children is often on the apps now. So a lot of time it's right up there in front of you, um, which is good. Yeah. And so 
there is a lot of talk at the moment on things like Instagram and TikTok about, you know, 50-50 in a relationship, mm-hmm. equal partnership. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm curious, do you think there is such thing as 50-50 in a relationship? Mm, maybe there might be like one couple out there. There might be that one outlier that have 50-50 in everything. But in reality, I think that most relationships work not with things being 50-50 because you don't date a mirror match of yourself usually. You don't date your twin. You date someone who's different and requires different um, support in different areas to different amounts. So if someone's dating me, they uh, might receive, for instance, more financial support than the average uh, person, um, but slightly less. Um, actually, I give. I'm pretty. I give physical touch. What are the other? What are the other ones? I don't, I don't give as many gifts though. I don't do gift giving. I don't do a lot of gift giving. Um, but they might receive certain types of support. Um, you. You do things like if they have a business idea, you'll set up the entire business for them. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I do things that I think are practical. Like I would, yeah. if they have a business idea, I'll set up the business for them, get everything ready to go, help them as much as I can, trying to put them on the path of success, but I'm not going to come in with a Fendi handbag. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that, you know, I wouldn't expect that back to a 50-50 relationship. I absolutely don't expect just because I'm willing to do that for someone, that they should be willing to do that for me or that they can do that for me. I think we all have strengths and weaknesses um, and it's okay. Um, Sometimes like not everything has to be equal and fair and recognizing that. um, But is it even possible to be equal? No, it's, it's not, not in any real sense. Like you, the closest to equal you might get is in financially, right? It is possible to split stuff 50-50 down the middle every time, the mortgage, the car, the TV, everything. Okay, so let's play around with that. Yeah. You earn $200,000 a year. This is hypothetical. This is hypothetical. I earn $150,000 a year. Yeah. Do we go 50-50? No, we don't. Why? Because I earn $50,000 more than you. We definitely base it on what we're earning, of course. You Uh, earn $200,000 a year? I earn $200,000 a year. Yes. Do you want to go 50-50? For, say, an apartment we're going to rent together? Yeah. Yes. A car? Yes. We do. We absolutely do. But going 50-50 in other areas is where it gets complicated. Like, for instance, if you're the kind of person that goes out and parties a lot and is a little bit flirtatious because that's in your nature and I'm not like that at all and you're very insecure and I'm not insecure, um, I wouldn't expect that I, I'd be okay with you going out and partying because I feel really secure, right? So I'm not going to blow you up about it. But I would still know and assume that if I were to go out and start partying, you would get really upset about it because you're insecure. And that may just be a difference between us that we have to work with. And that's okay. It doesn't have to be we don't have to both be just mirror matches of each other that live by the exact same rules all the time. Um, which isn't to say there should be like an obvious unfairness in a relationship or any like coercive control or controlling behavior or possessiveness. Like I don't like any of that. Um, so maybe that example is a bad example. But you see what I'm saying? I, don't, I think that there should be a um, realization that not everyone's the same. Like, like 
let's take work capacity, for instance. If you struggle to do a 10-hour day, but I can do a 12-hour day every day, is it reasonable for me to say, no, we both have to do 12-hour days every day? When it actually comes easier to me to do 12 hours a day. Or... And you're struggling to do it. Your wife's pregnant or... Yes. Newborn. Exactly. There's so many There's so many things happen differently to humans. You can't just be, have everything be equal all the time. That's has to be give and take and understanding. And it won't always look even or fair to you. And that's okay. I think that there are ebbs and flows. Like yes. maybe sometimes one of you is investing more yes. than the other, you know, depending on the situation, yeah. the circumstances. And, de- and depending on where, where they're at, with, yeah. with how they're feeling about themselves, with their energy levels, you with their everything. Sick, they might be but... sick, yeah. It's more about a commitment to a bigger whole. And as long as you're both committed to the bigger whole and it roughly approximates to you're both putting in a lot of effort, you're both, you know, doing the work, then it definitely doesn't need to be 50-50. Maybe it looks like... Sometimes it looks 75-25 um, uh, and other times it looks 60-30 and other times it looks 50-50 and that's okay. And maybe when someone's, you know, having a menti B, it looks 90-10 for a week, a whole week and that's okay. Um, but it's more about the general direction, I think. Again, there's been a lot of talk. It's everywhere at the moment about, you know, uh, the balance between the masculine and the feminine in relationships and, you know, um, how to act a certain way so that your partner can be more in her feminine or more in his masculine. Mm. I would love to hear your thoughts on this. For example, again, I was sent a TikTok yesterday. People Mm. send me TikToks and it was about, no, it was the day before last. And Mm -hmm. the guy was talking about how if you ask your female partner what she wants for dinner, you immediately put her in her masculine. What you should do instead is give her around three options, right, Mm. and ask her how does she feel about those options and then you immediately put her in her feminine. Okay, this is not (laughs) working for me at all. I would need to see some like – You sound like Nick. I would need to see some uh, like research on this and even definitions of what we mean by in your feminine or in your masculine. Energetically. I will say this, okay, the person who sent it to me, her and I were in agreement that there is – we, we loathe when our partners ask us what, I, what we want for dinner. I make decisions all day, every day. Okay. I would just love, you know what, babe, I booked this restaurant at this time. Or, babe, how about steak or a chicken salad? Most girls I know mm. would love it if I asked what would you like for dinner rather than just organizing it and doing it. And see, this is the thing. There is no one way to... No, and also, like, we need to define in your feminine and in your masculine. So is what we're really saying, let's take traits that are considered masculine by society and say that we want to make men feel more of those by putting them in their masculine. And let's take traits that are considered feminine by society and say we want to make women feel more of those by putting them in their feminine. Is that what we're doing here? Is that yes. what this is about? Yes. Okay, so it's is it's essentially about like is it about reclaiming uh, a sense of masculinity for men and femininity for women? Is that what it's about? Yeah. Okay, so it's not working for me. I don't I, – there's not a huge amount – like I understand we have differences. Men and women have differences and – um, sometimes feeding into societal expectations is actually easier than changing them. Sometimes embracing them is easier than pushing against them. Um, that's why we're both here wearing like normal clothes. 
rather than just stuff that we, you know, it could be anything. We could be wearing garbage bags if we didn't care at all about what anyone thought, but we do. So we embrace societal expectations and sometimes that's just easier. And maybe in, in this case it is too um, in regards to masculine and feminine, but there's something a bit off about it that I don't like, which is that what is masculine and what is feminine in society, in the West or in most places, um, isn't necessarily like the perfect version of masculine or feminine. Do you know what I mean? Like masculine also includes, if we're to say, is violence masculine? I would say under most definitions, yes, violence is masculine. Is it good? No. Do we necessarily want to be putting men in their masculine by letting them have a little, you know, um, rumble down at the bar with their friends? No, we don't. And, you know, what you're saying is so interesting because I feel like people are confused about what it means to be masculine in this day and age because of this whole toxic masculinity movement that's taking place. Yes. Where, you know, yes. and so how do you define masculinity? I think we have to talk about what masculinity is, what femininity is, and then we can have maybe aspirational masculinity and aspirational femininity. So, like... In language, you're either talking about an objective description of the way something is now or you, you may be an aspirational version of the way you would like it to be. So for me, I do include violence in what I, in masculine, as a masculine feeling, right, or a masculine action sometimes is violence, but I wouldn't like it to be so. So my definition of, my aspirational definition of masculinity does not include violence. It doesn't include um brutishness but are those things that people might consider masculine currently yes absolutely um domineering would be another word for something that you know it's a word to be associated with masculine energy but i wouldn't like it to be but it, but it is um uh so now but i do have a i have a absolutely wild toxic masculinity story for you go on from a, so it's actually from a friend of mine, and they did speak to me at length about it, and were absolutely they were actually hoping it could get shared on the podcast because they're thinking maybe they might elucidate some people out there in similar situations as to something they went through, which was absolutely wild and unexpected and strange and and bad, and it has to do with toxic masculinity. Okay, are you ready? Yeah. Okay, so. Um, <laughs> um, this yeah, this is, so this ties into so they were they met on hinge uh, my friend um we will call layla we'll call my friend layla uh layla or and lee okay we've got layla and lee layla and lee meet on hinge uh layla is in her early 20s has had one or two relationships before this is going to be the third potentially, right? Not a lot of dating experience, not an extensive amount. She meets Lee. Lee is on the first date, everything is getting ticked. He is extremely good looking. He is a Air Force pilot. So he's defending the country. He's also, because he's an ex-Air Force pilot who's currently a doctor. So, you know, tick, 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 tick. Every, he plans out the date minute by minute, uh, you know, brings flowers, takes her to a restaurant, uh, drives her to a view, 
lays out a blanket, they have a picnic, it's all happening, right? Um, the date progresses fine. She leaves the date, wow, where have guys like this been? Where have they been? This is amazing. And they continue seeing each other, but then these small things start to pop up as odd. Um, he doesn't, so initially he doesn't text back after the first date for four days, I believe. And they, you know, the feeling on the first date was we had a great time. They didn't kiss or anything, but they had a great time. There's a lot of energy. She couldn't imagine that he wouldn't text back. Um, oh, wait. So not only did he not reach out, he actually didn't text back. Yeah. No. So he, no, so he didn't reach out at all. She didn't text. Okay. But he didn't reach out. Okay, Which is it. usually the, usually the guy's thing to reach out. In my experience anyway, the guy reaches out after a first date. Um, not Depends. always, not always. If you pay, then yeah. I think that it's totally reasonable for the receiver to reach out and thank you. No, that's true. The, the thanking, but then in terms of any further communication beyond that. Um, so he doesn't reach out. He reaches out four days later. They start chatting again. They organize another date. The same thing happens again. Very well-planned date. It's almost too good. Like it's, it's just very meticulous. Um, like he's done it before. Like he's done it before, but also even in terms of communication style, everything is very chivalrous. Everything is very um, thought out. Nothing comes out of his mouth that seems to be off at all, almost like he's read it in like an etiquette book or something. Mm. Um, and again, another date, you know, eventually they end up sleeping together after three or four dates. Um there's little discussion of, uh, during any of this about his occupation, right? But he can't, he says that he can't get in contact with her most of the week because he does um, stuff. So he, sorry, he was a doctor previously. Now he's an Air Force pilot and he does missions for the Air Force. And when he's on mission for the Air Force, he can't get in contact with her. So he never texts between uh, roughly between Monday and Thursday. Mm. He will never text. Is he married with kids? And he will never call. Oh, it's worse. Okay. It's worse than that. He will never text. He will never call, right? Um, and That is such an elaborate cover-up. <laughs> yeah, I know. And so and he's saying, so he's saying he's on missions for the Air Force, right? Okay. And he can't, he doesn't even have time to get to his phone to yeah. let her know. He's very she's important. Going he's very important. Um, and so he... He only reaches out for these dates um, and they're wonderful dates and they get on and that's great, right? And there's great chemistry and everything and they continue dating and there's a discussion. They bring up the exclusivity chat. Um, effectively, they agree to be exclusive. Um, and but, but there's still this Monday to Thursday where there's no communication. There's also very little in the way of discussion around emotions or feelings or like, how are you feeling today? How was your week? Everything is action oriented. So the guy is planning dates that are action based. We move from here to here to here. We do this, we do this, we do this. And then we usually end up at my apartment. Um, and obviously there's the night over and then it all resets by the end of the weekend. Right. And eventually he gets an invite to meet the friends. That is Layla, Layla's friends, which includes me. 
Um, so he comes through. We all meet him. Oh, you have met this guy. I've met him, yeah. Okay. So he comes through. We, we all meet him. And I'm asking him questions. I'm, you know, trying to discern what's going on, you know, um, because I've always found his behavior very odd. To me, the fact that you don't message during Monday to Friday, that's very strange. Uh, the Being in the Air Force, not a great excuse for that. Um, even being a, having previously been a doctor, it was some stuff just wasn't adding up to me. But the thing is, and this is where I think it's something to, to that can be learned by people is when you're someone like my friend, um, Layla, she wants to believe the best in everyone. She wants to in give people the benefit of the doubt. And she does that inexplicably, um, with people and it can lead you, it can definitely lead to situations like this, um, unfortunately. But in this situation, he seemed fine, seemed great. And then he, uh, you know, he left, they were at a party, he left, they left. And when he'd left, everyone kind of looked around like, oh, what did you think of the guy? And everyone said the same thing. Oh, he's just really nice, isn't he? But there was nothing more. And then when I was thinking about him, I was thinking anyone else here, I could say something about their personality. I could say something about who they are, what they are, more than just, they're just nice. And then I started to reflect on like, it's almost like he's learned how to put on the mask of just a normal, respectable, kind person, right? Like, like this is trained. Um, and so after he meets the friends, they've been dating for four to five months, maybe, maybe even six months at that point. He never messages her again. He disappears, oh right? Gosh. So... They've had a. They've I had, wasn't expecting that. <laughs> so he never matches her again. He disappears. Right? She is devastated. Not completely devastated. She wasn't, you know, four to five months. Yeah, but she wasn't thinking they were going to get married or anything. I hope not. Because um, but, they never really went that deep, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. But but a bit devastated because because with anyone, anyone would be devastated if someone disappears after four to five months, right? Like I would be devastated. It's a form of emotional abuse. It's an extreme form of emotional abuse, and I want to touch on that as well. Yeah, but um. Because this is one of the most extreme cases of ghosting I've seen firsthand. Like this isn't just this is a guy I met doing it to a close friend of mine, right? But this is where this is where it gets kind of crazy and back to this masculinity stuff. So find him on Instagram. Check his Instagram account. He is following, and this is an Instagram account he never wanted to share, mind you. So he was never big on Instagram or anything. But when the Instagram account is found, he is following not people like your average people, your friends. Your, he's not even following hot girls. Wow, that would be a relief. He's following hundreds of dating coaches and male pickup artist coaches and guys with names like Gaslight King 3000 that create videos and upload them to Instagram on how to gaslight women, how to lie to women, how to get, and I quote unquote, how to get sexual investment for um, cheap and how to make sure. And that, that, and as we went, you know, we when we found this, we are absolutely in shock. We are disgusted and in shock. We're going through these pages, right? He's a con artist. He's a con artist, but we, we're looking at these pages, all his behaviors. There's, there's a video on why you should be shit at texting women to secure uh, sexual investment. There's pages on how to avoid spending money on dates but still secure sexual investment. There's stuff on how to gaslight your woman. There's like 
just how are these all pages? Of, how are they up? How yeah. seriously? How are they up? Can we can we please like try and get them taken down because they are disgusting, and the amount of that added a whole nother level of emotional like damage because now you're thinking not only did this guy ghost me, but he was manipulating Conned me, con me. I would never have consented to being with someone that was like that. Like never. I would never have done that. If you, he was a pilot. <laughs> I thought he was a pilot. And oh, and also. Friends in the Air Force, checked him up. I don't think he's a pilot. I don't think he's a pilot. I, of course not. I don't think he's a doctor. His, his LinkedIn page, which we found, you know what it said? This was his LinkedIn page. Doctor at hospital. Oh. Now tell me how many doctors put for their LinkedIn title, doctor at hospital, not, you know, general practitioner at you know, RPA from here to here. No. So this guy is a full-blown pickup artist, con artist out there on hinge right now in Sydney doing his thing. And that is you know terrifying. What? How great that you are airing this on the episode yeah. because I hope that anyone who is single and listening to this does I, not fall for his for facade. The, for the same crap. No. And, and it's terrifying because the amount of emotional damage he does – He's like a human whirlwind. Like he is, you know, it, it's not a crime, but the amount of damage that is done, like I would rather have someone break into my house and take my computer than to be have what he did, you know, done to me. Like that's, it's it's absolutely shocking behavior, really shocking. Um, because she's been manipulated. Yes, absolutely. By two yes. deceived. And this will take, it'll take a long time for, to get over all of that. Of and course. How do you trust again after that? Exactly. Because it's not trusting somebody else necessarily. It's trusting yourself to pick up on the signs. Yes. Because now, and now there's an issue, of course. Naturally, anyone who had that happen to them is going to be very worried going on dates, meeting new people because, you know, you, you need to – you can't pull everything forward into every new relationship, but you have to – you know, you're but going so, to a bit. You're going to a little bit. It's I have to happen. ask, when yeah. she found the Instagram page, yeah. did she confront him? He, uh, so she waited and waited to see if he was going to reach out at any point or if he just purely ghosted, right? And then she was going to, but then before she could, he blocked her on everything. So, so only what did about he, you? Not only you did he ghost. Yeah, I can confront him, sure. I could confront him if I wanted to. I mean, I could, I mean, yeah, I could definitely confront him if I wanted to, which is, you know, the question is, do I want to, is that going to help my friend in any way? Or is she just happy being removed from the situation and knowing this guy is horrible, but she's, you How know, did done they with make? it? Uh, hinge. Mm. Hinge. I'd be trying to report him. Yes. And unfortunately she deleted her hinge app, so she couldn't report him once it had been deleted. Um, but maybe we could work on that somehow. Maybe we can yeah. work on getting him reported. These people need to be held accountable. Yes, because it, it is truly bad behavior. And like, mm. and I saw this play out and I can say like it, it's just, mm. it's very bad. Yeah. It's very, very bad. That's a, and it's an extreme case. It's an extreme case. But this is the thing, the toxic masculinity aspect of it. I see signs of it in other people, in other guys. They're not as extreme, but they have these – they're verging on being Andrew Tate fans without being Andrew Tate fans, you know what I mean? But there is this whole new subculture of guy 
and I'm sure they've been around forever, but they have a place to go now, which is places like TikTok, Instagram, to post all their content, gain followers, and um, do this stuff. I have a story that I'll share. Yeah. <laughs> so this is years ago now. Yeah. I was heavily pursued by a guy. Okay, so I'll set the context. I went and visited a friend who actually just lives down the road from where we are now. Mm -hmm. It's in a new sort of apartment building and I was waiting for her to come home. So she said, just meet me at the driveway and then you can hop in the car and we'll go into the car park together. I'm waiting there and this guy drives into the driveway or he's exiting the driveway, sorry, um, in his Mercedes. And he's in the car with a mutual guy friend of mine. And I can tell that they're, you know, all excitable and like, you know, that him seeing me has caused some sort of reaction. Yes. From then on, he pursued me intensely, told everyone I knew in the community that we're from that he wanted to take me out on a date. Yes. I'm now at bucket list that following. So so wait, okay. okay. Yeah. You're young. You're bucket list. This is years ago now. You're in Bondi. Um, And he sees me. He's never been introduced to me. Yep. He literally physically picks me up. And takes me outside bucket list. I cannot like get out yeah. of his, like his embrace. And he goes, "We're going to go get a dinner together." And I was just like, "Scary." Yeah, <laughs> it was. You know, in one sense, I was like, "I admire your um, like persistence." I don't know, like certainty, mm. but there were red flags. Ooh. Right? I'm young, and, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah, people yeah. I, I know it. know him, so yeah. I think. I made an allowance because yes, people that, I know that know can him, right? Cred, you can I never do away. this now. Yeah. Firstly, if someone tried to pick me up, I'm in my mid thirties. Like, yeah, they put me down. Like, put me down. I could get hurt. I'm in my dressing gown. <laughs> I was like, nah, but you know what I mean. I know what you um, mean. Yeah, that would not fly. Um, but uh, no. So then I'm like, okay. So I, I think we got in a taxi. Like, and then yeah. we went to a restaurant. So we're in Bondi, and then we go to a restaurant in Potts Point. I'll never forget. But this guy goes move your, your hair back. And so I'm like, why? What's going on? He checks out my earrings. He goes, just lift up your top, checks out my watch. Let me see your shoes. Like is fully just yeah. like judging yeah, yeah, me yeah. head to toe, yeah, yeah, literally. Yeah. Looks at my handbag. Yeah. And then I was like, you know, young, broke, working in an industry that wasn't aligned with me. Yeah, like, yeah, you yeah. know, w- was figuring out who I was, yeah. as you do in your 20s. Yeah. And then he proceeded to tell me that I wasn't living because I wasn't, Flying overseas and you oh, know. Gross. Anyways, cut a long story short, he's a drug dealer. And of course, <laughs> of course he is. Of course he is. And he's now in jail. Of course right? he is. And it was all a facade. Do- Obviously, there were a lot more warning signs in the story that you shared. Yeah. But there are people out there conning people. Yes, uh, yes, yes, you know? yes, 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 and, yes, yes. And yes. we have to be, you know, sort of alert. To alert. It. That's it. Absolutely, alert to we have to be alert to it. We right. have to be alert to it. Did you want to say something on ghosting? On ghosting, look, I think that ghosting is very poor form in any in any situation. And for me, ghosting is if you go on two dates with someone and then you decide you don't want to see them again, you should at least give them, send them a text telling them you're not interested in seeing them again. Make it very short, succinct, um, polite and, and genuine. And that's it. And you will never have an issue of being saying someone saying that you ghosted them. I don't think ghosting is good at all in any way. Um, They're trying to make it a a criminal offence in the Philippines. Okay, I don't know about that because, but I don't know about it's mental abuse. It is no, but I don't know about how to see. It's not. 
like the stuff that happened with um my friend, on the one hand, I think it it causes the amount of physical and mental damage that it is. Well, mental definitely, but that then leads into the physical because of stress, right? But that um it should be a crime, but at the same time, making it a crime, making any of these things crimes is extremely difficult to do from a regulatory point of view and exactly. from a how does the government actually enforce it. And so it's all well and good to say they're crimes, but if you can't enforce it and you don't have a good regulatory um, system and if you think that it's going to overburden the courts, well, then maybe don't introduce it. But that's, you know, a topic for well, a different kind of podcast. Maybe. But I've, you know, I would love a rating system for dating apps, but again, yeah. it's very difficult to regulate. Yeah. And it's so subjective and, you know, it's a matter, often it's a matter of perspective. Like it's, it's a very difficult thing. Let's judged. move on to Let's something on. that I think people struggle with a lot, which is being in conflict in a relationship. Yes. Which invariably they're going to be. Always. You're going to be in conflict yeah. and, and from small things to big things. And your style of conflict resolution needs to be uh, on point and synergistic with your partners or you're going to have a lot of issues. And if you're not, if it's not synergistic when you first meet, you better get it on the same page pretty quickly because otherwise everything's going to be difficult. So I'm a big, I'm a big um, advocate for making sure your conflict resolution skills are good from the jump and don't let, it, don't let it get worse over time, which it often does. Often it compounds. Like our conflict compounds and it becomes worse and harder. The sooner you put a stop to it, and start to develop some good techniques that you can practice because they need time to get reinforced in both of you. If they're new tactics and new behaviors, no, you're right. Introduce like, them early. I banned um, name calling. Yes, early. Ban it early. Get rid of it and make sure both people are on the same page with it. And if it happens, there's an immediate, was, here we go. You the, know? In the beginning of my relationship with Nick, the C word was used a few times directed towards me. And I was like, oh, you fight me. <laughs> Whoa. And it, he doesn't actually mean it. It's yeah. just. We're talking about the same C word. Emotionally flooded. Like that C word. See you next Tuesday. Okay. Yep. He becomes okay. emotionally flooded. Yeah, of course. I which, get it. Yeah. And I get then it. just, you know, whatever comes I out. It. But I was like, hard no. Like. I will not accept that, right? Yeah, yep, yep, It's yep, very yep. hard to come back from that, right? And to once you start yeah, doing it, it's yeah. like crossing a line. I yeah. mean, it's and it's the same with it. Pretty much all our bad habits. I'm sure, like we all started in this world as probably pretty uh, politically correct, you know, people that didn't cross many lines or boundaries. Um, that yeah, didn't want to break rules. That didn't want to break rules. Yeah, and we slowly we cross one line and then we cross it again and then we cross yeah. it again and we cross it again. It becomes easier and easier and easier. It's like physical violence. You know, they've yes. done research yes. that says yes, once yes, 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 a relationship yes. becomes violent, it's very difficult, next to impossible, yeah. to revert back and not have the form of violence uh, increase in in, in extremity, yeah. um, which is terrifying and scary. Which is why if you're in a situation like that, you need to get out of it as soon as possible or revert, you know, move, but work on it as soon as humanly possible and not let it get worse. Okay. So this leads to some questions that came to mind earlier today. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on infidelity? Infidelity. Okay. Right? Like, so say someone cheats. Do you personally think that that is something that you can move past in relationship? Oh, I've tried to. I've tried to move past it in relationships. It has never worked for me. 
to move past that in a relationship. Why? I forgive in the in the moment. So I can recall a time, and this maybe looking back, maybe I was maybe this is more about my issue than it is about theirs. But I was dating someone and they were out on a night out with a girlfriend and having a great time. They were, you know, really lively, gorgeous girl. Like, you know, they would go anywhere and people would be absolutely drawn to them. Notice them. Notice them. Like, and so, and they were young at the time. I was young at the time as well. We're in our twenties and they would be the center of attention wherever they are. And they'd always have guys hitting on them. And, and I just trusted. So I was never worried about it. I was like, you know what? I trust it's okay. You know, she loves me. I love her. It's it's okay. Just go party. I'll be here in bed. Until it wasn't okay. Until it wasn't okay. And there be in the end, the number of, you know, exposures, which is she was constantly in situations where guys were hitting on her, um, you know, good looking guys, suave guys, wealthy guys, all kinds of guys, funny guys. Um, and one time I she had a lot to drink and she was at a Latin dance club. And she was also a very good dancer and they were doing, I believe, salsa. Very sexual. Very sexual. sexual. And a guy started kissing her and she started kissing him back and they, you know, they went at it for a bit. And then at some point she realized, wow, I've this is like the first time I've ever cheated on someone and it's my partner and he's at home right now in bed thinking that I'm just having a good time with my girlfriend. And she came back immediately, came into the bedroom, sat down next to me, started bawling her eyes out and said, I've done something really bad and I knew immediately what it was. What it was. I was like, I didn't I thought it was gonna be worse, but I, I knew immediately infidelity. And I just said, Okay, uh, what did you do? And she said, Oh, she explained the situation, she kissed the guy, and that's all it was though. It wasn't beyond kissing, and they made out for a bit. And yes, she did kiss him back for a while and but then she left. And I said, Okay, um, I'm gonna go back to sleep now and I'll talk to you in the morning. I just think men are so amazing because men can go to bed deeply disturbed or angry <laughs> and I would be up staring at the wall like, yeah, yeah, yeah. like looping, you know? So I, yeah, I went back to bed. I went back to bed. She got in bed next to me, was in tears, obviously. I didn't yeah. give her a reassuring hug. Like, no, that wasn't happening. I had my cushion and I was cuddling it into, <laughs> into the corner facing the other way and I went to bed and I woke up and I believe I said, when we woke up, I said, so... I think I'm going to go to Budapest like in a couple of days. So I flew to Budapest. <laughs> and I said, you know, you can stay in my apartment. That's fine. Just stay here. Because she was living with me at the time. So I was saying, yeah, just stay in the apartment. All good. Don't worry. I'll just, I'll just be in Budapest. I'll be back in a couple of weeks. And I left. And I got a lot of texts and a lot of calls. <laughs> and I thought about it and I pondered it. I didn't do anything with anyone in Budapest. I'm not like that. Like I didn't have like revenge sex or revenge hookup. None of that. None of that happened. And I came back and I said, yeah, I, I forgive you for that. Like, I really respect the honesty and you coming to me and everything. Like, I get it. I really appreciate that you're honest. And then we, we got back together. Well, we didn't break up. We were still together. But from that moment, something in my head changed. And I didn't respect her in the same way. And I didn't love her in the same way. And really? six months later, we weren't together because I was too resentful. What if you were married with kids? What if I was 35? I was 20-something. If I were me now, I think i get over I think I can work through that. I think if I'm married with kids, I can definitely work through it. That's not even a question. If I'm married with kids, I can work through that. Do you think it's because you have like more life experience and more yeah. tools available to you to yeah. know how to work through that? Yeah, I think, I think it's to do with that. I think that 
for me at the time, that was like a big deal. For me now, I've been through many worse, bigger deals in my life. I can get through things and put and understand that people genuinely make mistakes and forgiveness needs to be real and it needs to be felt. It can't be intellectual forgiveness. You can, I forgave her intellectually when I got back, but my body didn't forgive her. And that was the problem. My body was still caught up in, no, I feel betrayed. I feel hurt. I'm in pain. How do you move past that? I think that you move past that with maybe some therapy, a lot of mindfulness, a lot of being aware of your emotions and what's going on in your body, noticing, oh, I'm feeling negative here. Okay, don't let that translate into I'm going to be grumpy right now. Put a pause on that. Just notice it. Okay, that tension, let it, observe it, let it go. But make sure it doesn't translate into actions that are exter- external to your body, right? And when I was doing a lot of meditation, you know, I would always have, like any, grumpy, any person that has under, had a lot of stress or anxiety, have experienced anxiety, there's a tendency once you feel bad in the body to have that come out um, uh, against other people around you. But the more aware you are of it going on, the more you can jump in and say, no, no, no I'm not going to do that. Like, I'm going to have these feelings, but I'm not going to let them translate into frustration that causes damage to others or harm to others. And so I would have been practicing doing that. I would have been feeling the resentment still in the body, but then not letting it turn into actions. Then over time, I believe it would have dissipated. Do you know what I think is fundamental to being able to forgive somebody, though? Tell me. They need to take full accountability. Yes. And then there's a level of remorse there. Oh, of course. There has to be 100% accountability. There can't be, if you've done something and you're not accountable and you're not remorseful and you're not willing to, you also better be ready to have, have the situation brought up a few times. Like, don't expect that someone's going to, you know, forgive you for cheating and never bring it up. You don't get to decide. We need to leave it in the past, honey. No, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. That's like at some point, yes. For sure. I At agree. some point, there's a cutoff line, but that, and that's depending on what happened too. But, but don't think just because you've said you're sorry and you're remorseful, now's the point when Chats we never chat. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I get away. This is done. No. Yeah. But if, I said sorry. Yeah. <laughs> if you expect that, you're pushing that person away because they won't be able to forgive you. If you want them to forgive you and you want them to stay with you, you need to show that you're remorseful and that you take seriously what happened on a regular basis because they're thinking about it every day. If you're talking about like proper infidelity, like obviously what happened to me was cheating, but I'm more thinking like your partner slept with other people, like something like that. They're, if you do that to someone, they're thinking about it every day. I think it's more intentional what we're talking about, like yeah, you know, where you yeah, absolutely. actually plan to work yes, outside yes, the relationship, Yes, right? yes, yes. And if that happens... And you want to make things work? You mean you're going to have to be You're going to have to work. We're going to have to work a lot, a lot. And you're not going to get to feel like the, even though you're not going to get to feel like the good guy just because you apologized. Yeah. And, and, you know, yeah, like, no, you're going to have to. But I do say this, for the people that, that do it well, that do take accountability and do own up to what they did and do, uh, own up in, the most honest way, like as honestly as possible with any other person, right? Um, as honestly as they would be with themselves. If they can do all that and they can work through that with their partner, I have a huge amount of respect for those people. So do I. I think it takes courage. And I have a huge amount of respect for people that can work on 
that with their partners when they've been cheated on. That's also very, like, that earns my admiration. That being said, do I think that the vast majority of relationships will survive something like that? No. I think that it is the final chapter for most relationships when there is infidelity. Well, I think what you're saying is, you know, interesting because I think that whether you make it work and get back together or not, there needs to be some form of understanding and acceptance that the relationship in its previous format no longer exists. It's no, there's it's a done. death. There's, there's a death. Been a death. There's there a was death. a death. There's a yeah. death of the relationship, the former yeah. relationship, and the people you were in that relationship. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. That happens. That happens, yeah. and it's very. It's a grieving process, and it's extremely difficult. And trying to work beyond it is a lot of effort. But um, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, what are your thoughts on monogamy? Monogamy. I'm a big fan of monogamy. But that's for me. I'm not a fan of monogamy generally as like we should all be monogamous because that's the only way to be. For me, monogamy works. I'm very inclined towards monogamous behavior. Some might call me a serial monogamist because I like relationships. I like having my person. I don't like having... You're very productive when you're in relationships. Yes. <laughs> when I'm in a relationship, I, I feel like I can conquer the world. Like I feel like together we can do this. Because I have a base, I have a, I have someone with me, and we're both looking forward to a future together. We're both working on things together. We both have passions. They encourage me. I encourage them. We don't end up going out and partying as much. We are, you know, generally drinking a little bit less. We're doing healthy, productive things, not stimulating things. We're doing stimulating things too, but not just. We're not seeking these super big highs all the time. Or, um, and I love it. I honestly love it. So I love, I'm a big fan of monogamy. At the same time, I know people in polyamorous relationships and I wouldn't have it any other way for them because for some of them, for some of them, they're kind of convinced into it by one partner who's more into polyamory and uh, the other partners may not be as much into it, but they, they kind of uh, obsessed with the other partner. And so they do it, but it, Begrudgingly, and I feel really sad for those people. I feel sorry for them that they need to be in situations where they're not feeling comfortable. Well, they're not properly aligned. Are no, they're not aligned, and they're doing something that they don't really want to be doing uh, just to please their partner, which is you know happens in monogamous relationships too, actually. But but for me, yeah, monogamy is great. I'm curious to hear from you. Yes, what you think are some commonly misunderstood aspects about men in relationships. Okay. To start with that everything is sexually motivated. That's the biggest misconception for me. Um, but this, to preface this, I would say that maybe for guys in their early 20s or certainly for like teenagers, um, things are quite sexually motivated. But that definitely dampens. And maybe this isn't a misconception. Maybe everyone already knows this. But I, I genuinely believe that guys in their 30s aren't extremely sexually motivated. doesn't mean they don't love having sex, but not all of them are, like, that's all they're looking for. I would agree with that wholeheartedly. Um, yeah, okay, so maybe it's not a misconception. Maybe everyone just knows that. I think for younger people it might be a misconception. Yeah, they think that we're still the same old like just sexually motivated guys out here trying to do everything we can to get as much sex as we can with as many beautiful people as possible, and that's just not the truth. And we value other things more. Um, 
But I think women value good sex in their 30s a lot. Yeah, I would agree with that. A lot. And and maybe there's some, uh, maybe there's a misconception about the degree to which that is so. Like it's not um, voiced enough how frustrating some women find their lack of a good sex life in their 30s. But if we're talking about other things that are, that are misconceptions regarding men and mas- masculinity, men and masculinity? Yeah. Um, well, just what is commonly misunderstood about men, men in relationships. Yeah, men in relationships, yeah. Uh, what about like, you know, there is this, I believe, misconception that men are potentially more reluctant to commit than women. I think men are more reluctant to commit than women. That is something that I've noticed at least in um, people. Uh, but, but it's certain types of men, right? So let's, let's peel this back a little bit. I think the more options a man has, the less likely he is to commit. The easier it is to replace someone, the harder it is for him to commit to anyone. Whereas for guys who find it more difficult to find options at all, they're very likely to want to commit. They try and lock you down quickly. I think often it, and it's it's difficult, you know, it's a shame to view it this way, but if we, if everyone, if we imagine that everyone has this kind of perceived societal value, which is unfortunate, but if it kind of exists, right? Um, I think that guys, and this is why you find, for instance, celebrities, find it, they struggle to commit because they have extremely high perceived societal value and a lot of options and it's difficult for them to maintain relationships that are monogamous and healthy and, and I wonder you see how that much the happier they are. I don't think they're happier necessarily. Um, Whereas I think that the guy who's struggling to get dates but then does get a date with that girl that he he had his eye on and she likes him, I think he's pretty much, you know what, I'm good to go, let's lock this down because it's it's difficult. Um, It's going to be more difficult for him to find a replacement. So unfortunately I think that the level, the willingness to commit, there is some degree of... um, uh, that the, the, there's a correlation between that and how many options a guy has and options of, of what, and this is, I hate using this terminology, but uh, options of what perceived societal value. So if you feel like you can walk down the street and meet a 10 out of 10 who also makes 500K a year and is really nice and respectable and speaks five languages, and that's easy for you because you can meet 10 of them every week, well, then you might not be that likely to commit to any of them. But if meeting someone like that is really difficult for you, like it would be for pretty much anyone, then maybe you're pretty likely to commit once you come across them, you know? And so it's all about this judgment of how rare is this person? How rare is this connection? And you're kind of just weighing up where you're at. Okay. So let's talk about the influence of social media on on relationships. Uh, So I think it can be very positive and it can be very negative. I think the negative comes into play with possessiveness and jealousy. Um, in an ex- and it can be quite extreme. And I think that it's something you should check for early on. Like if... And how do you do that? <laughs> you wait for your partner to say things like, I'm not comfortable with you having any uh, non-close 
female friends on your Instagram whatsoever, none. So like if you have acquaintances on Instagram, it doesn't matter if they're from work, whatever, if they're a woman and they're not like your best friend, you can't have them on Instagram. Can I just say though? Because that, so, well, that's a pretty big red flag. Yeah, I would agree. Yes. But I did have not a reaction but a moment when I was sitting next to Nick on the couch mm. and then he was swiping as he does on not on a dating app, I no, hope. On, he swipes on Instagram and he swipes on TikTok. And I don't, this was ages ago. Yeah. But M. Rada came up as one of the people that he follows. Mm-hmm. And I just, I was like, you follow, you actually follow M. Rada? Like, I think it's one thing to be like, yeah, M. Rada, she's a total babe. Like, mm. every guy thinks so, mm-hmm. you know, but to actually follow her, I was kind of like, and then he was like, I can unfollow if you want me yeah. to. And then I was like, would never ask you to do that but it, there was a moment where I was like I'm not loving that no that's reasonable I agree but see he doesn't know her in yeah. person right like we're right. not friends right but shouldn't then that be less of a concern no that's more of a concern because right. he the what value does he get out of having her pay he doesn't know her yeah so then it purely so it's is it's because she's, yeah. she's hot so it's yeah. about I want to look at hot chicks that aren't my partner. That's what that's yeah. that's why she's there. That's a concern for some people. It's not a concern for everyone. That would certainly be a concern for my ex. I get it. I understand completely where people are coming from when that is a concern. I personally could be okay potentially with my partners doing that, like looking at hot guys or whatever. But but I'm very much like, but I don't need to. I don't. I don't have. I don't just follow hot girl accounts on Instagram. It's I know, what shame. I, do. I probably shouldn't have shared that story. He's probably not going to lie. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> but that's not what I do. Do you know what I mean? But I, and that's why I totally understand why there would be some, you know, concern there. Um, but I'm more talking if someone says, you know, the acquaintances you have or the friends that you have that you've known before you've even dated them, well, you can't follow them because they're too hot. No. Yeah. That's too much. I I agree it's too much, but so. What about following exes? Can you follow your ex on Instagram? I personally don't. Could you? I wouldn't want to. Can you be friends with people you went on Tinder dates with? (laughs) I think it's circumstantial. Circumstantial, yeah, yeah. But going back to the following hot people and so on. So I don't actually have an issue with it but there was an incident at the beginning of my relationship where we were very early stages and he you know wanting to support friends who may be influencers wearing very little clothing and I would see oh you just liked a photo of their mom you know and and it again caused like a reaction in me. I didn't make it known but he could tell and so he learned early on in the relationship I yes. won't do that anymore. Understand. That's a smart move. If you if if I have a partner and I've got friends, and I have a lot of friends that are pretty hot. I've got some pretty hot friends. And some of them post scantily clad photos. But if I'm in a relationship, I'm not I'm definitely not, even if which I do, like I'm not liking their stuff because I'm going, oh, my friend's hot. I don't find I don't look at my friends in a sexual way. I can yeah. say, I can say, oh, they're gorgeous. Obviously they are. But I'm not attracted to them, or they they wouldn't or be I'm my not friends. To pursue them. I'm not trying to pursue them, but I also I'm not attracted to them. I'm yeah. genuinely not attracted to my friends because if I was, that would be an issue. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. I can recognize they're beautiful, but I'm not attracted to them. But if I'm liking their scantily clad photos, because I'm trying to say, hey, I support like 100. Yeah. Let's you do you, 
you're probably really happy with you know how you look. Same with me. I posted a shirtless photo, my only one, not that okay, long well, ago. We need to talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> and that you know, that's actually the first picture on my Hinge profile. Is that a red flag? Am I doing something wrong? Because guess what? Oh, you're making it sound so much worse than it is. Yeah. What it's, it's a topless photo. Yeah, but you're at the gym. I'm at the gym. It's a topless I mean, photo at the not, gym. It's actually not that bad. And as your best friend, I would tell you that. But yeah. we're making it sound a lot. Okay. Worse. Well, no, it's just a topless photo at the gym. It was for I. It was a professional photo shoot, but it was to help a friend of mine who was doing P, uh, PT. He's setting up a PT business. Yeah. And he needed a model, and I and agreed it is to a help. Great photo. And it's a good photo, but I've been told that it's a red flag. But yeah. it's also gym selfies are typically red flags. But it is also liked to the extreme. Yeah, so it works. So it works. So, mm, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just think when I saw that happen, yeah. I thought to myself, from my perspective, you're giving the impression that you're available. Yes, yes. Even though I know it was innocent, there was zero, like, you know, in, intention behind it. But I was just like, it just made me feel like you're not a, a committed man. Oh, you mean when I post that photo on my Instagram? No, the photo of liking the influencer. Oh, no, that. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. No, I get it. I, uh, Yeah, if I'm in a relationship, I'm not liking any scantily clad females. <laughs> That's not happening. Don't do it. It's not worth it. Yeah. Um, Because you don't want to, out of respect, out of respect. Also, just to circle back to your topless photo. Yeah. I remember I was dating a guy. I thought we were exclusively dating. <laughs> of course, uh, as people sometimes do. Right, yeah. but I'm pretty sure we even had the chat. <laughs> yeah. um, and one night at like 9 p.m., yeah. he posted a sultry selfie. It was the equivalent of a woman in her lingerie <laughs> on her bed. Oh, God. And I called him out on it. I yeah. literally called, I said, can you please call me? <laughs> yeah. And he was like, hey, what's up? And I was like, I just want to understand like we're exclusively dating. Uh, I've never posted at that point. I didn't have my professional account. So I only had my yeah. personal account. I've yeah, never yeah, posted yeah, on yeah, my yeah, personal yeah. account. I said, so I've never posted on my personal account. So you're not posting that for me. Yeah. Who are you posting that for? Mm. Like, so there, so you know, social trapping media you. plays a huge oh, role. Oh yeah, definitely. And you can, it's also the place where you're going to most likely you're going to find out someone's cheating through their social media these days. Remember back in the day when you could see uh, what posts they liked? Yeah. <laughs> Imagine <laughs> that face. now. Imagine that now. Oh, my gosh. God. The trouble that must have caused. But Yeah. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> uh, you know, and so we formed an agreement, which he did not um, – follow uh, whatsoever that he would not do that again because I was like yes. you're giving off a yes. clear yes. sign I'm yes. available that was a big problem I had with my ex as well she gave off that sign constantly it's not nice it's not nice it doesn't feel good it, it's not it doesn't make me feel good it didn't make me feel good at all it felt I felt horrible about it it's like being in a relationship but being active on the apps that's how it feels yeah it feels like that and even though technically that's not what's happening it to me is saying hey I need some attention right now. Yeah. Please message me. Uh, and I don't all want it from people. you. I want it from yeah, someone Yeah, I want else. it from someone else. Exactly. And maybe that's what she was saying. Who knows? Well, he um, certainly was. Well, he certainly was. <laughs> but I personally wouldn't do that. I would never post thirst traps on stories while I'm in a relationship with someone. No, like absolutely not. Not happening. Yeah. And I'm not. And like if it's someone's job, right, like back to the example of like 
you date someone who's a teacher at a pole dancing studio. Yeah. Of course they're going to be the occasional video of them is going to look very hot because that's what they do. That's fine. But it's, and you notice there's intuition, you know, when, when someone's doing it at a certain time or maybe after an argument or, you know, you notice when they get out there and they start doing it and, and it's just not nice. It's not nice to communicate either dissatisfaction with your partner through social media. I, one of my biggest icks in dating is when you have an argument with your partner and then you feel like, they're responding to it by putting a story up about some third party that is clearly you. Like that is just everyone. I don't think anyone looks at that and says, oh, there's a very stable, well put together person. No, it looks terrible. Don't do it. Don't res- not a good look. Don't f- have your fights through social media stories that aren't direct. What don't send that? subliminals constantly at your partner. It is not a good look. Deal with your partner face to face. Or on a call, don't air all that in the public sphere, socially, in a non-direct way. Terrible idea. This in my opinion, anyway. Obviously, I'm quite passionate about this. It's taking me back to MSN days where you could, like, update yeah. your status. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> how you're feeling. Yeah, how, how you're feeling, to, yeah. What would? Oh, God, you updating your status with, yeah, <laughs> just crushed. Men are terrible right no, after. it would a be like a song lyric. Oh, God, yeah. You know, so you were, you were going lyric. with full subliminal yeah. messages. Yeah. yeah, ridiculous. Anyway, so let's circle back to what we were talking about at the beginning of this episode. Do you think that there should be anything off limits in a relationship? Yes. I think that things that would endanger your partner. Like what? Like, for instance, and this is, you are, I mean, you asked, I'm answering the question honestly, but I can't, you know, there are a lot of people that could be listening. Like porn? Are you talking about porn? (laughs) No, I'm not talking about porn. I'm like, for instance, if you worked in national security and you had a certain level of clearance, I wouldn't be telling my partner everything in that in that, if, if it wasn't That's a very legitimate mandated, answer. if it wasn't mandated. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, I can't talk about what happens in session with my clients. Exactly. So you, there's, there's something off limits. Every doctor, lawyer, you know, et cetera, I would hope that the majority of what gets discussed does not go back to the bedroom. Um, or indeed, if you were, I, I don't think that, for instance. What um, happens with your friends? What happens with your friends is, yeah, what happens in your friends' lives yeah. does not have yeah, to in go. Your friends lives, exactly. Does not have to go back to your partner if they don't want it to, and it's not relevant. And now, a lot of the time, it doesn't matter, and your friends are fine with your. They understand that, of course, you're not talking to your partner about big things. But oh, I disagree. Well, I my friends, like my close friends, my really close friends, they know that I'll talk to my partner about certain things. But then there are some things that they wouldn't want me to talk about, and it's then made explicit. And absolutely, I will keep that. My partner doesn't need to know that. That's something about someone else's life. So there's, there's not everything needs to be shared at all. Um, but, you know, most things do. Mm-hmm. Most things do. Mm-hmm. And I think that uh, overall your partner should have taken it as a big sign, a big green flag, if you can keep other people's information private when they've requested it because it means you're likely to do the same with them. And it means even if you guys have a breakup or something happens, you'll probably respect their privacy and wishes and not just be out there telling everyone everything. Mm-hmm. I agree with that. How do you feel about the concept of the one that got away? The one that got away. Oof. 
So I think that I have two thoughts about the one that got away. One is that there invariably must be one that got away for some people. So there must be some cases just purely like sheer number of relationships, right? There must be some people who met the person that was a better match for them than anyone they would ever meet again until the day they died. And many lives have been played out like that in history. There must have been where there was one that got away and that one would have made them happier than anyone else that came after and that's just an objective fact. It's done and dusted. It's happened, right? But if they got away, were they really the one? They could have been. It's just that maybe as with, you know, a few actions here, a few actions there, for instance, it could be a situation and I'm, I guarantee this has happened. Someone has been in a relationship, absolutely, you know, happy, everything's going well, and then someone else comes along, sweeps one of the partners off their feet, takes them away, lives happily ever after, right? The original partner never meets anyone again, never finds another partner that they consider an equal, and they die at the age of 90, never having been in love to the same degree. That This is, we're in a world where hundreds of billions if not thousands of billions of people have lived and there have been relationships with all of them, that happens, that's life, that will happen to some people. And they are truly ones that got away, right? And that happens probably more frequently than we realise. A lot of people probably have people that if they had been able to keep them, if they had worked on it, they would have been happier than who they ultimately ended up with. Now, as humans, we don't want to admit that. We don't want to turn around and say, oh, I actually would have been happier with them. Realistically, I probably would have been happier with them. No one wants to say that. It's also like no one wants to say, you know what, I'm actually less happy having had kids. There's their two things that you are not allowed to say. You're not allowed to say them because there's no, there's no way to fix it. There's no way to change it. There's no way to go back. And humans are very uncomfortable with speaking truths that are that definite and that are that sad and that heartbreaking. But those heartbreaking realities exist. Sometimes people have kids and they would have been happy without them. And sometimes there are ones that got away that truly did get away that would have been the love of your life. But given those realities, right, that I believe exist as objective facts, I don't think it is helpful to focus on that or to think about that. I think like many things, it's almost a case of, of self-delusion. You almost need to do a spell on yourself. How do you do that? What you do is you, you, when the thought comes in, oh, maybe that was the person that was the one that could, could have been the love of my life and I just made a mistake and maybe that really is it. Maybe I'm going to, you know, five years from now I get hit by a truck and that was it and I would have had a better life with her than without her, right? Um, when you start to think about that, you need to uh, tell yourself that that's not the case and that there is someone else out there that, or at least you don't have to tell yourself it's not the case, right? But you have to be open to the possibility that the story isn't done yet. So yeah. this is the thing, right? That by the time we die, at that point, someone can say that was the one that got away and they might be able to pinpoint it, right? But up until that moment, it's always good and we should always live in hope and the expectation of something better happening and genuinely believe it can happen and pursue it. Because if we don't do that, it's not going to happen. So 
you know, and I, I apply that kind of methodology to all kinds of things. Like you could fail as in your profession for 20 years, but this, as long as you've got another 20 years, the story is not over yet. You need to tell yourself it can get better. Something can happen. And that gives you the chances of it actually happening a higher likelihood of success than if you didn't. So like start just telling yourself that and just do it. And maybe at the end of your life, they'll say, actually, you know what? The whole 40 years was a failure. But that's for the end of the story. You don't have to, you don't have to deal with the end of the story because you're dead. You just have to deal with living the story. I think though that there also needs to be an acceptance that if you do feel like there was someone who got away, the one got away from you, that rather than thinking love is not possible for you, you just need to accept that the same love won't come back around. Yes, and that I agree with that. I agree with that. The same love won't come back around. And and then because then also it's very hard to measure contentment and happiness in different kinds of relationships. Like it's not an exact science by any means. Um, so, yeah, I think I think there's value in that realizing that you know you might not you might not have the insane sexual chemistry you had with someone ever again that might have been it totally but what's interesting is that one that got away came into your life at a certain point and what you might need and want in a partner later in life may be very different to what that person offered you absolutely definitely right i agree with that i think we can both speak to that yeah we can both speak to that absolutely We've been speaking for over two hours now. Yes, we have. To wrap up, if there was one piece of advice you had, either for your younger self or just anyone listening to this podcast, when it comes to dating and relationships, what would it be? Oh, I would say, you know, I'm going to speak back to a younger me. And because this is a kind of, it's a poignant period in my life in that, I was quite worried um, and I always have been quite worried when I'm in relationships that when I know that they're kind of heading towards the end, the doubt always enters my mind, will anyone ever love me again? Will people care about me? Will I be able to find partners or will I have the one that got away be a situation that I have to live with the rest of my life, right? And perhaps that's, you know, a strong feeling in me because For instance, my grandmother, her partner died when she was, I believe, 29 and she never remarried or met anyone ever again and she kept a painting of him next to her bed until she died at 99 and that painting sits in uh, my apartment and I see it every day. So the notion of, well, like one love and maybe you do never meet anyone again is very visceral for me. It's very real. So I have a a tendency towards fearing that I won't be loved, that I won't be. And, and also I wasn't a very popular child. I wasn't a very popular kid. I wasn't popular in school. I wasn't popular with girls in school. Um, and so that probably left some impact as well um, that causes anxiety when I'm in relationships about, that aren't going well and they're heading towards an end and I fear leaving them sometimes because I'm just worried. I'm worried I won't be loved. But I would say to my youngest self, don't worry, you're going to be absolutely fine because, you know, your experiences as a child or in your teenage years regarding dating or in your early 20s, although I was quite popular in my early 20s, to be fair, but um, they aren't indicative of everything you're going to go through in life. And um, 
I would say to myself that was in the relationship I was just in, I was quite worried about getting out of it, even though it was very stressful, quite traumatic for both of us. Like I feel strongly for my ex-partner as well. We both had a really difficult time and we were both worried about leaving it. But I would say to myself then, you know, who was only six months ago, I would say, don't worry, you'll be fine. It's all going to be good. And I would say to her as well, don't worry, it's fine. It's all going to be good. I'm sure she's going to meet someone and be really happy and I'd be super stoked about that too. So that's what I'd say to anyone in a situation like that. It's probably more, more than not, it's likely it's going to be okay. No, but I think it's a fear that almost all of us have. Yes. This fear of yes. being alone. Yes. Right? It's a fear. Because we're wired to attach. So we're of wired course, to attach. We, you know, it's a human experience, yes. right? Yes. Part of the human experience. And I think what you're saying is so important because you don't want people settling because of that fear. No, I don't want them to settle into a relationship that is not making them content, that's not giving them peace because of that fear. I don't want that. I don't want that for anyone because the more time you spend in that space, the more difficult it becomes to extricate yourself from it and the less time you have to go and find out and discover new people and go and embrace the world in a different way, which is often really fun. And I found it to be great myself. Like over these last six months, it's been wonderful. Yeah. One last question before we wrap up. Sure, sure, sure. How did you go from being scared of being alone forever to actually uh, enjoying being single and being on your own? I, it took me, I, this is, I probably didn't go about it in the most healthy way, but I had to go out into the world and by the world, I mean the party world for a couple of months. And I had to just remind myself, you know what? A lot of people are quite interested in me. I'm, quite popular and a lot of people actually do want to get to know me. They are interested in talking to me. They do want to spend time with me. They do value me. They do, um, you know, and to see that and to feel it is very different than to thinking maybe they might or this or that, you know, beforehand. So once I got over that initial two months of it's like exposure therapy, exposure therapy. Yeah. Once I got over that two months of, you know, destroying my brain cells every weekend, but going out and meeting people, um, then I realized, oh, I'll be fine. Now I can turn it down. What about people who don't get that same level of reassurance and validation? That'd be difficult. Mm. That'd be really hard. And I honestly have, I don't know, I'm, I'm amazed at the strength of those people because I'm privileged in that regard, definitely. Um, and I find it difficult. So I can only imagine how difficult it is for some other people. Like, I, and you know, I'm friends with them. I one of my hobbies is playing video games, and I play video games. I'm on my headset talking to people in America for lengthy periods of time. We're doing all sorts of stuff, and I can tell you, I speak with guys all the time that are struggling to get one date with one girl. Like, and it is incredibly difficult, and it is challenging. And I talk to girls that are struggling to get a date with a guy as well. And it is difficult and it is, I, I'm amazed at their strength in pursuing it, keeping going and not giving up. But see, what I think is interesting about what you're saying is that there are people that you know that are struggling, right? And, but 
you have this shared interest. And I just think figure out who you are, right? Yeah. And then figure out where people like you hang out, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And try to get in front of those people. Like, you know, I think that we bonded over shared interests when we met. Yeah, like Not everyone's into the Myers-Briggs. Like, yeah, no, definitely you know, not. We geeked out S- together. Someone once asked if that was my gang sign. <laughs> They're like, what gang are you from? <laughs> because they saw the letters and they thought it was like a, a blood set. You know, so maybe <laughs> what makes you unique is not as, uh, you know, streamlined or popular as some of the yeah. things that, or yeah, desirable, yeah, yeah. I should Absolute, say, some of the things that we've discussed in this podcast. But exactly. there is going to be There's a niche. Out, yes. There's a niche. There's always a niche. I would not. And go find it. Gamers don't appeal to me, yeah. right? But yeah. people who can speak Myers-Briggs. Oh, they do, yeah. <laughs> they do. No, find right? your niche. Find your niche find and your go niche. and get exposure in that niche. And you exactly. know what? A lot of the gamers I speak to, when they do end up dating, end up dating other hardcore gamers. Exactly. And sometimes a lack of options creates a more stable base because one of the biggest problems when you have, yeah, one of the biggest problems of having too many options and being able to choose any, not any, plenty of people out there that have, I'm sure, X'd my photos, but being able to choose a lot is... um, it's too easy. Thinking that there's more out there, there's, more, there's better there's out there. There's always more, there's always better. The grass is greener. The grass is always greener. Danger. Don't think that. Scary. That's the that's path to, um, yeah, to forever being in the same place and not evolving with someone that you choose. So figure it out. Yeah. Stefan. Yes. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. It was honestly lovely. I've been loving watching the podcast evolve and you evolve as a person. And I hope that, you know, I, this is single at 35. I look forward to having you on, whether it's single at 40 or married at 40 or... Or married with kids at 40 or married with kids and divorced at 40. We can do any of them and I'll be there for it. So (laughs) thank you. Thank you.